everybody, and welcome to 372 Pages We'll Never Get Back. I am Connor Lestoka, and I am joined here today, finally, by Michael J. Nelson for our 20th book here on the podcast. Mike, uh, finally, how's it going? It's going good. It's, um, as you know, it was tough to corral me on this one, and so the, let the uh, listener know that Connor did have to chase me down with one of those helicopters with nets in front of it, like mm-hmm. I was a common prairie chicken. I think <laughs> everyone knows what I'm talking common about reference, there. Common yep, I think. Yes, sure. For... Uh, but I'm here. <laughs> he was able to net me and, and copter me into the studio, so here I am. Yes, I posted a, a, a gif yesterday of, of saying that this was going to be us going to the studio tomorrow, and it was Forrest Gump running down the football field, and someone just posted a, a reply saying, you know, like... Mike, your driver, no, and it was Toots is the cat about to go off a cliff. So, uh, we, we recapped your your several separate misfortunes on our on our Patreon side, so we don't need to dwell on that too too long. But you are doing doing well, I think, right? And ready to uh, ready to make light of this? Yeah, short of a some sort of you know a fleck of an asteroid entering our atmosphere and severing my my hands or vocal cord or both, I think we're good to go. Right, there's a. Uh, you know, no, no, no potential lawsuits. You know, you you help a, a old lady across the street, and it turns out that she's a you know a sl- slipping Jimmy type, and she she sues you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> no good uh, deed. Uh, I had a friend who uh, used to do risk management at a a, a very big uh, department store in the Twin Cities, and mm-hmm. the the he had delightful descriptions of the slip and fall people, like every <laughs> single week. Like, <laughs> There was grease over by that mannequin. Like, I assure you, Mrs. Johnson, there was not grease. Here's $100. I saw him. He was greasing the mannequin. He looked like he was enjoying it, too. Yes. So, no, that hasn't happened. We're good to go. Let's let's do this thing. Yeah. So we're starting our our, our 20th book today, which is Gump & Co. by Winston Groom. It is obviously the... The follow-up, I, it, it, you, you want to say if it was a movie, it would be the direct-to-video sequel, but it was the direct-to-book and only-to-book sequel to Forrest Gump. They, they never turned it into anything, not even like a series on, uh, you know, Crackle or Epics or some uh, third-rate streaming channel. Uh, it's just only existed as a book, and I think very obviously we, we learn why that is the case. Yeah, it's as though, um, let's say, you know, Godfather suddenly just went to like you say, direct to video, and it was an Air Bud movie. The second one was like Godfather, Air Bud gets the touchdown. Yes. Like, wait, what happened? Yeah, this right. precipitous fall. <laughs> well, Pete, we 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 could we could save it because he addresses it very early on. But he talks. We we learned about why he sort of did this book and and how he he came to be sort of bitter about the whole movie experience. But I thought that we would uh, maybe start off because as you revealed in our intro episode, you never watched the movie when this came out. Uh, you, <laughs> you, I have never seen it. Never re- once sat down to watch it. No. Resisted the the. Uh, cultural uh, tidal wave that it was you you sat there baffled by all the the parodies that you you watched the video for Skilo I wish and had no idea why he was sitting on a bench in a suit um exactly to watch that again and again and <laughs> continue to be puzzled the more I watched it you had a, a, a yarn wall connecting the pieces trying to figure out why he why he had chocolates on his lap what the deal was with the feather <laughs> But I thought, what, it, what year are we talking? Just to put it in context, well, uh, nineteen ninety four. Oh, so this this book came very quickly on the heels of that. Yes, yes, oh, yes. Okay, it, it gotcha. was. Someone wrote in to say it was. He wrote it in six weeks, and it was obviously after the movie had come out because you know, that's that's sort of how the book starts. So, right. uh, 
But I thought it would be fun to give you a quiz because, as it turns out, there's a we learned that there's a lot of stuff that happened in the first book, which we have not read and are not going to, that did not make it to the movie and vice versa. There's stuff that happened in the movie that was <laughs> never part of the book due to, I think, the judicious good sense of uh, director Robert Zemeckis and, you know, star mm-hmm. and producer Tom Hanks. So let's go down this list of things and you can, you can tell me whether you think this is actually something that happened in the movie or not. So I, right out of the gate, a real or fanfic. Pretty much. Yeah, but I'm for, in the dark. Yeah, for four... Yeah, but all the fanfic is stuff I made up. Uh, we'll, we'll, a listener wrote in with a list of things that happened in the book just sort of get us up to speed, and we'll do that next. But this is all, did this happen in the movie or not? Gotcha. All right. Did Forrest invent the hang-in-their-baby poster? Oh, um, feels like a yes. Okay. Uh, did he invent the shit-happens bumper sticker? Uh, no, he did not. Uh, how about the uh, smiley-face-have-a-nice-day shirt? I feel like he might have, yes. Okay. Did he did he lend Jack Ruby his pistol? Oh, that's that's a dark turn. I'm going to say no. No. Did he uh inspire the Beatles iconic haircuts? Oh. Boy, what is his timeline? Well, uh I'm going to say no. Okay. Did he teach Elvis how to dance? I'm going to say no. Uh, did he uh, suggest to Neil Armstrong what his first word should be when he walked on the moon? Um, yeah. I'm going to stick with my instinct and say no, even okay. though it's been a lot of no's in a row here. Did he uh, speak at an anti-war rally with Abby Hoffman, the yippie? Um, sure, why not? Okay. I believe there's a lot of hippie stuff around. The, <laughs> did he uh, teach Chuck Berry the guitar riff to Johnny B. Good? <sighs> Come on, we all know who did that. No. Okay, that was a trick. Uh, yeah. Did he tip off the police about the Watergate burglars? Um, does Watergate get dragged into it? I, <laughs> I'm going to say no. Okay. Uh, did he uh, swap out the brown acid at Woodstock? Oof. Boy, I'm trying to think of when it was filmed. Did they have a shot of Woodstock? I'm going to say no. Okay. Did he play ping pong in the Olympics? Yes. Did he suggest the word dream when Martin Luther King had writer's block? Oh, I hope not. No. <laughs> did he uh, Did he burn the first bra? Uh, <laughs> that would be odd. Uh, I guess if he had gynomastica. What is that called? Gynom... Whatever. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say no. Okay. Uh, invested heavily in Apple computers. Uh, sure. Why not? And did he talk a Wall Street jumper down from a window on Black Tuesday? We're talking 1929? Uh, no, the, uh, the, the 1987. Oh, okay. All right. Were they both called black somethings? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say no. Okay. Uh, yeah, they did not do that. And maybe I, maybe I got that name wrong when I was fabricating these things. Uh, let's see. Yeah, you did pretty well. Uh, the things that he did do. He invented the Shit Happens bumper sticker. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) This was during a little montage of just dumb stuff happening. Also is when he invented the Have a Nice Day shirt. Uh, He did not lend Jack Ruby his pistol. That was a weird thing to go to right after that. I should have reordered that. Uh, He did teach Elvis to dance. But oh, he uh, he had these leg braces on, and he was when he was wobbling around the room like Elvis was staying at their boarding house, and that's how he sure. invented his provocative Ed Sullivan dancing. Uh, he sure. did speak at a uh, anti-war rally at the Lincoln Memorial um, mm-hmm. when he got back. Uh, he did tip the police off about the Watergate burglars. He saw them 
uh, walking around with flashlights in his hotel when he uh, when he was staying across the street, I guess. Of course. He played ping pong in the Olympics, um, and he did uh, put a lot of the profits from the hump, uh, the shrimp company into some sort of fruit company, as he called it, which was Apple Computers. Gotcha. Uh, uh, so I did, I did okay. Yeah, you did pretty good. Most of that stuff didn't happen. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, is the official title, by the way, of the, the business itself called the Shrimp Company? And I never noticed. Is it one of those Berenstain Bear things? Uh, you, you, know, you mean the, the restaurants that still persist the restaurants to this day? The that took the name, yes. No, I don't think so. I think that was some, a, another um, good decision made by the producers of this thing. Because that was something that when I was looking at the... The ebook copy. I was like, "Is this an is this an optical character recognition scan error?" Like, I went out and, and bought the book right away so I could see if <laughs> we just got a bad copy of that or something because there was so much of that. And shrimp just seemed like, well, that's no one would pronounce it that way. But no, that's how it's that's how it's written in the book. S R I M P. It takes a lot more effort than saying the word as it should be <laughs> yes, pronounced. That's yes. the thing. Um, should I unveil my own my my grandmother's? Happened to be have a Forrest Gump story. Oh, and I sure. suppose I should unveil them now because of the the because uh, you know this now's the time. Yeah. As, once when I was a, a kid, I was enamored of um, Houdini, Harry Houdini, mm-hmm. the famous magician of the like twenties and thirties, world famous. And right. I would read biographies of them and practice magic. And once I was sitting at my grandma's, and she goes. Who is that? Oh, is that that Houdini character? He came to the house for lunch one time. <laughs> like, no, no, Grandma, this is Harry Houdini, the magician. Yeah, yeah, he was always like escaping from things. You're looking like, around, yeah, being yeah. like, "Is this? Is this when she has to go?" I, is this? <laughs> and she's, you know, toweling her hands from the kitchen or something. And I go, Grandma, how in the world did Harry Houdini come to the house for lunch? The house, not like a boarding house, just there. No, actually. her her home in uh, in a suburb of Chicago, Illinois. Okay, and she's her her late husband had been the. The, uh, he'd worked for the gas company for years. People used to be able to work for a gas company for years. Right, yeah. And, then and uh, he was retired happily with their spacious home. Yes, he did nothing else his entire life. <laughs> and uh, he worked for the Chamber of Commerce, and Harry Houdini was coming into town and was doing shows that night, and the Chamber of Commerce sponsored him. And so this, my grandfather picked him up at the train station and didn't know what to do, so <laughs> took him back home, and Grandma fixed him lunch. And so... <laughs> So Harry Houdini did, in fact, have lunch at my grandma's house. Wow, that's incredible. Yes. And so some people that happens with Houdini, and maybe he shows them, you know, he, he makes his thumb disappear or something. Other people, like, entertain Picasso, and he's like, oh, for, for thank you, I'll just write you this sketch, and that's, what they, right. you know, that's how they retire years later. Yeah, I'll sign this napkin. Man. Uh, same, same home, by the way, of uh, bequeath me the buckets of... No. Yes, same house. That wow, was oh, so there could have been some Houdini thing... Buried in there somewhere. It could have been. Uh, a signed program or something. And then Man. my other grandmother told me that, uh, and this is just pretty straightforward, she was at the game because it was at Wrigley Field where Babe Ruth called his home run. <laughs> now this, you told me a week or two ago, and I had like pretty much spit-taked a, a typing equivalent. That's an amazing thing to claim. But isn't that, it's kind of like being at Woodstock. If you actually took everyone at their word, there would have been 17 million people at Woodstock or something. Yes, or as I heard on a recent uh, NFL playoff game, the the first round of the playoffs ended this year, and the Cincinnati Bengals won a game for the first time in 25 years, and the announcers said, 
60,000 in attendance, 600,000 will say they were there. <laughs> are, are people really going to lie about having gone to a first-round playoff game in, in 2022 where nothing really remarkable happened? I don't know. I read about the, the game, though. That I, I just finished a book about uh, 100 baseball players, and it's unless she recalled later that she had been there, there was, there was nothing really that happened, I think, uh, that, that you would, might have gone home to talk about. They, they, what, what seems to be the almost agreed-upon thing is that he said, like, um, you know, I, I still have, you know, you've only thrown me two strikes. I've still got one more, sort of telling everybody, like, hey, I'm not out yet. Uh, and that was the, uh, then he hit the home run. Uh, and then that became the, the legend of pointing. Yeah, isn't it almost, uh, it's even debated whether he pointed, that he kind of made that gesture a lot with his bat anyway. So it was kind sure, of like... like, yeah, pointing out towards the thing. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, the legend is is what it is. But I mean, so if you're at that game, that's still cool. But, yes. um, but and I, we were talking about that because I was um, somehow looped into a conversation with a uh, Nobel Prize winning history professor who had been at the George Brett Pine Tar game. <laughs> you were somehow looped into, oh boy. All right, right. Yeah, I'm Forrest Gump is what happened. Yes. <laughs> uh, but th- so let's let's do a little rundown of what happened at the first book because a li- uh, listener named Joshua sent in some of his thoughts. He, he, he got the book and read it after we announced this one. So wow, okay. Did, did that is diligence. initiative, yeah. Uh, he said that he uh, spent Forrest spent most of his childhood attending a special needs school until age 16. The high school football coach wanted him on the team. He plays college football but flunks out after only one semester. Um, Bubba, uh, of the Shrimp Company, was part of his non-integrated college football team, so presumably white. So that's a big change to the Mm. movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, He's also skilled at chess, the harmonica, and advanced physics. The latter gets him into the space program. He goes to space, then crash lands in New Guinea, where he's held captive by a cannibal tribe for several years. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, like, sort of Gulliver's Travelsy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, also on the space flight is an orangutan who becomes one of his closest friends. So he, she comes up very quickly. Uh, as already came up, he spends time as a pro wrestler. Uh, he runs for Senate, but details of his life coming to light derails that. I have no idea what. Maybe the uh, landing the gun to Jack Ruby. <laughs> right. Uh, at the end of the book, yeah, Jenny's alive. Uh, I got to pee is his recurring catchphrase. <laughs> he uh he does not run across the country which he did in the movie i believe seven times um running is in general not a big deal except when he says he gets very ch- fast when being chased um and the the book was published in 1986 so it presumably ends thereabouts too i was unclear at the timeline when this book started but obviously uh pretty early on we get something that cements it firmly at a, at a specific moment in time right Interesting. Okay. Because I, I have to say, coming in cold and reading it, it felt a little like I was reading one of those children's books where it's, it's like the lion, the caterpillar, the mule, the horse, the donkey all walk down the road. <laughs> and then one by one, each gets its own little Oh, sure. Thing. Yep. And then they keep repeating all the names. Because it's just, he's just running into a collection of people, I assume from the movie. Uh, from the movie or or from the book, I think. Um, just uh, there, there's some callbacks to uh, to characters who were <laughs> in the first book and not the movie, and I guess those are in theory fan service, even though um, it's not servicing the the actual fans of the property. All right. Well, I'm going to be a little bit on the outside then, as they name the beloved characters, and I'm supposed to mentally like a round of golf applause in my head. Yes, I just exactly. Yeah, it is. I don't have it there. It, it's the Kleinian mention of you know a, a special episode of Family Ties that you're supposed to be like, oh yeah, I remember 
Yeah, oh, come yeah. on. We, all, we watched that at least 17 <laughs> times. Well, let's get right into it. What do you say? Okay, yeah, let's Ch- do it. Chapter 1 begins with this, uh, this exchange. It says, let me say this. Everybody makes mistakes, which is why they put a rubber mat around spittoons. So I thought that out of the gate we were off to a bad start, but it's also not like if, you, if that sentence was... Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You're, you wouldn't think that was great either. <laughs> yeah, this one, though, is particularly, uh, it's like, oh, dear. Did <laughs> did a second-tier football coach write a book? Right, yes. It seems like he did. <laughs> uh, this... But he, he goes on to say, take my word for it. Don't let never nobody make a movie of your life story. So it's, it's, it's quickly meta. Mm-hmm. In in this thing, and and the reason that he says that is is because this story of Winston Groom's screenplay or whatever uh, book rights sort of became a poster child for the nebulous term Hollywood accounting. Yes. <laughs> um, and what what I the 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 too long didn't read of that is um, he received only three hundred fifty thousand dollars for the rights, and then an additional quarter million from the studio for his work. Because he took the net profits as opposed to gross profits. Um, do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I mean, you only hear... This, this is like people going to Vegas, right? You never <laughs> hear stories of people. I was utterly wiped out in Vegas. Right, yeah. All you hear is like, I go every year and I'm just, you know, and they put me up at great hotels and then I come back and I've won. Like, if you're up at a great hotel, that means you lose all the time. <laughs> yes. And so... You only hear stories of people who, instead, in lieu of salary, he took a small percentage and made $800 trillion. Yes. So I assume there are thousands of stories of people doing the same thing. Yeah. And getting their asses handed to them, too. So It uh, doesn't seem, so to me, I mean, it it seems, everyone says this is a story of, you know, Hollywood's dishonesty, but it's like, one, what else would you expect, you know? It's like, (laughs) you know, I, I, I went across the, uh, the the river on the scorpion's back, you know, essentially, and then he's, yes. he's. But then it also it's an indictment of your agent. If anything, you know, it's not like this guy went in here as some country rube and was like, "Whatever you say, Mister Big Shot." Like, you know, <laughs> he had a agent presumably negotiating with two of the biggest names in Hollywood that uh, that uh, got him this deal. And when you read about it, it says that you know, Hanks and Zemeckis, the director, got the gross profits. But that's because they're Tom Hanks and Robert Zemeckis. They're not going to just, um, you know, I would like the gross profits too. No. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Negotiation wise, we have six movies lined up behind yours. We will simply slot in the next one. And yeah. We'll see you later. <laughs> so, yeah, he sounds bitter, but um, I'm not sure. You know, in some ways it's justified. In other ways, it's probably standard business. Yeah. I, I know that in the, uh, in the book industry, I had a... a um, agent once who said there, there's a trigger in your contract that you can audit the uh the book company i assume that's the same thing for a studio but you pay so in other words everyone would just be auditing them all the time oh god yeah. business <laughs> would stop you know yeah. so you put skin in the game and you do it and it probably costs you know let's say at the time it was 40 let's say it's seventy thousand dollars for a full audit <laughs> but he he had another client who he didn't say who he was who uh, decided to pull the trigger on it. Wow. He's like, like uh, he had a business or something, and so he's like, "Yeah, it's worth it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna audit them." <laughs> he, he just suspected. He's like, "Do you have any, you know, any inside information?" Nah, let's just do it. Oh dear! And so what happened? He got hundreds of thousands of dollars. 
<laughs> wow. So that was the one that ended happily. Like they were just tucking away here and there, but and a full audit just showed like, yeah, you overspent on promotion here. You did, you know, all the little tricks that would not right. be noticed. Oh man, so he, insane. He did it and got it. So that's the only positive story I've ever heard. <laughs> Well, so he's he's bitter about that, and so he's he's sort of gone down this hole of trying to make this book as um, it seems like about as unfilmable as possible. Even though the first one with uh, going to space and meeting monkeys seems like it was like that too. So they they made some good choices, but this one begins with Forrest Gump, you know, America's sweetheart, the beloved character Tom Hanks. You know, he imparts wisdom. He's got a big heart. He is uh, sweeping out a strip joint called Wanda's in New Orleans. <laughs> that didn't close until 3 a.m. Yeah. He's essentially the janitor at the, the Double Deuce from Roadhouse. People hollering, cussing, throwing chairs, tables, beer bottles. <laughs> um, but the whole turn- time he's being nice, of course. Of course, yeah. He's, That's rule he's, number one. Yeah, right. <laughs> but he's also, he's very much... Uh, the. A lot of people wrote in this comparison, and it makes me happy that it's a uh, reference point for our listeners. He's he's Jones uh, from the Confederacy of Dunces, the guy who sweeps up the strip club, the Heart of Gold, I think, or something like that, and uh, blows smoke in everyone's faces. And he uh, he's got a peculiar way of talking too. So it's uh, it, it it seems like it can't be a coincidence. The two uh, the the most famous New Orleans strip club janitor in all of literature. <laughs> you think this is full out homage? <laughs> I hope so. From uh, Winston. By the way, Winston Groom, I just looked him up, had no idea, you know, who he was. Uh, he, he died in 2020. Oh, oh dear. Yeah, so uh, we lost him. Yeah. Well, that means that they will, uh, I don't know, the, w- what's the logical progression of Forrest Gump, Gump and Co., Gump, etc.? We'll never have a Gump, etc. Well, did he bequeath the, the line to his son? Yeah. Uh, sort of a Clive Cussler kind of a thing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Gump and Sue, hopefully we can get. Dear, dear Abby, wouldn't she give it to her niece or something like yeah, that? Yeah, or every uh, Sunday comic strip that's ever existed. Right, right. Uh, yeah, so um, Snake is the first character that, that I was like, <laughs> okay. Old Snake. I'm apparently supposed to be going, ah, good. It didn't take long for Snake to join. And so I, I, went, to the, uh, I went to the internet. Didn't have to go to the dark web. Just okay. went to the straight up web. And looked up uh, Snake from <laughs> Forrest Gump. And I, I really didn't find anything. There was okay. a couple pictures where I was like, that looks like it could be a snake from Forrest Gump. But I don't really know. And yeah. so I'm still in the dark about... Because there's a lot of this snake character. So maybe you can tell me. was was Who, who was he played by? Is this like Burt Lancaster? Or, or is this... Uh, who played him in the movie? He was... He was... Played by a guy who probably uh, has learned to time the uh, Forrest Gump Blu-ray at the exact moment that, like, the side of his face is partially visible under a f- under a football helmet to uh, try to impress his grandchildren. Snake okay. is not in the movie. I, okay. I just I just wrote Forrest Gump has recognized his old friend Snake beating another man with a beer bottle in a drunken fight at a strip club. Sure, that's uh, <laughs> so. I, if he was in the book, that's uh, that's possible. But uh, th- this came as a surprise to most of the readers here, <laughs> right? And uh, in this, also, we get a little of the peculiar humor of. I assume this was what was making Larry King, who calls it the funniest novel he ever read, making him just guffaw, like just <laughs> hold on to his suspenders yeah. and uh, you know hunch over even more with laughter. <laughs> Uh, because Snake was so glad to see me, he punched me on top of the head 
which was a mistake because it sprained his wrist and he commenced to holler and cuss in about time that and about that time the police showed up and hauled all of us off to jail. <laughs> so I think that's supposed to be hardy har har. He punched me on the top of the head, which I guess that's his his nomenclature for someone smashing him on the top of the head. Right, yeah. It's a uh the I think as we talked about before, the the Sevy Bop Day in my middle school where eighth graders would bop the seventh graders on the head. Yes. And they had to make the announcement that there would be no Sevy Bopping. That's that sounds like what Snake did during this drunken brawl fright. Sevy bopped him so hard he sprained <laughs> his wrist. So I I again I assume Larry is going, Ha, I know it well. <laughs> Uh, but it turns out that that's, uh, that's a, a, a bummer because uh, Saint, uh, Snake turns out to be the, the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. Um, so right. spraining your wrist in a, in a drunken bar fight is going to be a, uh, a problem going forward. But uh, Off they, the top of your head, do you have any – I'm pretty sure there are stories of people you know, being quarterbacks before the Super Bowl, like getting in – brawls at, at uh, bars and you know cutting their hand on an old Milwaukee bottle and right. having to not play the final game. <laughs> I could think of two specific pitchers just for the Washington Nationals that punched lockers in frustration after uh, appearances with their pitching hand and okay. had to miss considerable time. So it's not uh, it certainly isn't beyond the beyond the realm of imagination. Who's the guy who started up his brother's drone and sliced oh. his tendon open? That is Trevor Bauer in the Trevor. first of many public questionable decisions that he has made. He's currently been suspended for over a year by Major League Baseball. We don't need to get too much into that. Oh, okay. That, that right. was during wow. his, uh, his, his, his less <laughs> – the tip of the dumb, dumbass iceberg, I would say, for that guy. The, the clues were there where there's yes. smoke, there's fire. Yes, okay. Yes. That was, right. And that right. was before the, 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 a playoff game. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll leave that where it is. Yes, okay. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and so they end up in jail where Forrest says he has been before. I don't remember what that was from, maybe from the protests or something like that. Uh, we, and we get a couple, we get a, a window into what has happened to the Bubba Gump shrimp company or shrimp yeah. company as it's going. I'm just going to say, well, when I'm reading it, I'll say shrimp when I, I'll try to, when I'm saying it out loud, I'm just right. going to have to say sure. shrimp. Um, but, uh, he had employed some of the people that worked for him, uh, that he met along the way there, Lieutenant Dan, Mr. Mm -hmm. Tribble, a chess master that taught him the game, <laughs> mm -hmm. as well as his mother. And uh, after these um, people have sort of departed, the uh, shrimp company has gone downhill. Uh, yeah. The, Lieutenant Dan says that they didn't pay their taxes and they're foreclosing. Um, and the last employee left is uh, Sue, my friend who was an ape, an orangutan, just to be exact, and gone back over to Bayou Le Batre to help out with some problems running the shrimp business. That's uh, Lieutenant Dan. And they uh, they caught shrimp as fast as we could, but there were just so many shrimp to go around after a few years, we wouldn't catch half of what we had when we started. The whole shrimp industry was in a panic. And it turns out that that panic has left the only one to answer the phones was old Sue. And when the phone company pulled out the phones, Sue left too guess he figured he wouldn't be help he wasn't being useful no more mm -hmm. <laughs> so a orangutan was answering the phones at the shrimp company and uh, sue is a man and that again is uh has got larry king cackling i guess i yeah at that point i was double circle circling stuff going okay are we gonna get a lot of this kind of humor <laughs> the dude sue the orangutan answering the phone all right fine yeah. Um, but yeah, so 
it, it turns the timeline is a little confusing because Lieutenant Dan's like kind of calling him and going, Hey man, I made all my money. Mm-hmm. So I, I had thought of Lieutenant Dan just in my complete lack of knowledge as a somewhat honorable character. I guess that is not true. Um, um he, yeah, he, st- he steals all the money from right. Forrest and takes off. Yeah. He was, he, you know, he fell on, on hard times cause he lost both of his legs in Vietnam. So he was, a he was a, you know, uh, on the street and hard drinking guy, but he turned his life around when Forrest let him, you know, help run the shrimp company. So this is a, a relapse, it seems. Okay. And, uh, and then when he goes to visit the building, so I don't know when that phone call, like, hey, the business is going poorly. And then by the time he shows up, there are weeds growing all around. And, and it is like post-apocalypse at the <laughs> shrimp company. So I'm not sure of the timeline, but fair enough. Sure. Uh, but I looked into it, and so obviously the movie came first, and then came the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company, a, a an extant but- shrimp company said, "Hey, we need to snap up the rights." So they called Paramount. This is one hundred percent true. They called Paramount and said, "Can we have Bubba Gump Shrimp Company?" And they licensed it to them. Yeah, and they're still around. Yeah, still... there's one in the Mall of America, someone told me. so. Yes, so there are 29 in the United States. The rest are in foreign countries. So the <laughs> foreign countries love themselves references to <laughs> movies from 1994. Um, but uh, because of that and the success of that, I, I thought, you know, light bulb on the top of my, my head was mm. like, um, all right, money-making opportunity for 372 pages. So uh, I uh, I made some purchases. I emptied the uh, page. You probably saw that. Did the Patreon now? account is emptied. Huh. No, uh, I didn't. I mean, I... But don't you worry. It'll be filled back up quite soon because <laughs> I made some licensing purchases that I think are going to put us on the fast track. Oh, my God. Well, yes, you know, I know you're excited. Please uh, keep hey, your comments until the end. I will. Sure. Good boy. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. So the first one, Tom Hanks Movies. Big deal, right? Obviously, yeah. He's our. I mean, he, I, I, he could be. He could probably be elected president. He's that beloved. So yes, he's our Jimmy Stewart and and uh, all the beloved actors of the past rolled into one. Yes, we love him. He was in a movie called Turner and Hooch. Oh God! And now this is absolutely true. That also has a seafood company in it. Shushing. <laughs> And it was obviously a huge movie, and I'm, everybody remembers the name of the seafood company in Turner and Hooch. So why don't you just say it and, and rejoice over the fact that I bought the name for that? I don't know. I, Hooch That's is right. A- it's the Boyette Seafood Company. Oh. I bought it from Touchstone Pictures, and <laughs> we are going to open up a chain of Turner and Hooch Boyette Seafood Companies. No, Hooch is a dog. No one's yes. going to want to eat seafood. A beloved dog. With a dog. Like those two things don't go together. You're gonna love a dog. The kids are going to go nuts. And he We're dies. Going to have actual live dogs running around the restaurant. No, it's a sad movie. He's dead. They live dogs is against the whole ethos of the film. Well, then we will pretend that our dogs have come back from the dead. Oh so zombie God. dogs running around the Boyette Seafood Company. People are going to think that they're we're serving them dog. They're going to think that we're. We killed the dogs. And and then when they pull the plate off their seafood and they see that it's not dog, how excited are they going to be? They're they're not going to... Oh, boy. Oh, boy, yet. God. Karate Kid 3. 
Uh, well, okay, now you're talking. <laughs> I bought the fictional company Dynatox Industries. Oh, wow. So now we own that. Wow. So That's we're... the company that illegally dumped chloride sludge on the island of Borneo. Where uh, Sue the Orangutan might have come from. Exactly. See oh. how it's all coming together? So we own Dynatox as well. Well, I mean, from an ironic humor standpoint, that sounds great, but it seems like there's probably quite a bit of liability that might come along with dumping Clorox sludge. I uh, I know a guy. I've got him working on it already. Okay, good. This is in yeah. your your name, though, correct? This is in 372 pages. Dynatox Industries. Right. Yes, yeah. your phone. I put your phone number right on there. there. Mine is out of order. Right, boy. Uh, uh, the movie Chairman of the Board <laughs> with Carrot Top. Sure. I I bought Macmillan Industries. That was the the uh, invention company that he he dazzled Macmillan Industries, as you'll recall, and became. Chairman of the board. board. Yeah. So we own an invention company. So if you have anything, you know, like a, you know, a twelve-string guitar with like, you know, the the uh, the fretboard coming out either end of the guitar, <laughs> <laughs> we we could we could uh, market that through our Macmillan Industries. I just that sounds. I mean, it sounds very generic. You know, I, I would have assumed that Carrot Top would have come up with a, a wackier name that might you know have some. Get some recognition out there, or at least be oh, funny on a T-shirt. Uh, can I make it clear? We don't. We cannot mention Carrot, Carrot Top, Top. <laughs> or the movie Chairman of the Board. We only own Macmillan Industries. <laughs> so uh, oh. that might. Well, we'll look. We'll put it up on the rack. We'll. Uh, we'll. You know. We'll. Can, can we mention know. the and wife or? No. 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 That's a completely thing. different. Oh, Although now you've got me thinking. Regan. Hang on. Let's uh, pause this thing, and I'm going to make a phone call and come okay. back. I got it. Millen and wife, we own right. it. All right. Cool. Yeah, I had, had to go in debt, we, but we're good. Are we thinking gritty reboot or like a comedy, like 21 Jump Street style reboot? Well, I mean, right now, the people who are listening, anyone younger than 55 is just delighted that we got Macmillan and industry, <laughs> Macmillan and wife industries. Uh, just, I bought two more okay. with the, the, this was kind of the leftovers. Uh, remember the movie Daddy Day Camp? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I bought the franchise to Daddy Day Camp. <laughs> so you and I, are, we will have to run dozens of local day camps oh but uh i figure we can poke that in the holes of our schedule and uh the money flows in <laughs> oh yeah is that a is that a lucrative industry <laughs> i mean it is seasonal of course sure yeah it doesn't you know probably has a oh my god i don't i don't do well with diapers uh, hang on saving the best for last you know the huge franchise pirates of the caribbean sure yeah Remember when that sort of fell off a cliff and no one remembered that they were making any more of them? That's where I swooped in. <laughs> from Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Was that? 2017. 2017? Yeah, they made one in 2017. That was the only one that they even let me, you know, kick the tires of. The rest of them, they're like, no, this is a golden franchise. But that one, you okay. can have it. <laughs> um, so I, I bought the name of the uh, the ship, the Black Pearl. Oh, which happens to be a brand of olives. So now we own a bunch of olive farms and uh, some huge olive production facilities. Well, so, those, um, I mean, they probably grow olives in some exotic places. We could, you know, write off a trip to Greece or something, or maybe well, Italy. I, I figure fusing daddy day camps with olive production, we could get our kids to oh, harvest child labor. olives. Yeah, yes. Very much. 
That'll be yeah. a a good distraction when they discover our waste dumping business. We can uh, right, you know, they they can't prosecute us for both of those at once, right? And, it's like double jeopardy. And if it all goes under the McMillan and Wife Industries brand, I can't imagine we won't be millionaires this time next year. Yeah, that can be our Shine Hardwig Corporation. Yes. McMillan and Wife Industries. There we go. Uh, we yeah, know. so I, I own we own a lot of fictional products. So I started I'm, off interesting, uh, annoyed with you uh, when it was the dog seafood company. But, uh, you know, this is, you know, you you got to spend money to make money. Exactly. Omelets, eggs, and that stuff. Yeah, there yeah. we go. Well, thank you for draining the accounts and, and putting them into something sensible. Uh, I'm sure that the players will be happy to take jobs as either uh, daycare people or, or seafood chefs, maybe. Right. Yeah. I also did put the, there was a little bit left. I put that on the ponies. So maybe, maybe during this, I'll check the boards and we'll okay. see. Hopefully not those ponies from, uh, you, you didn't franchise the horses from that show Luck that ran for about three episodes and managed to kill like 13 horses killed, somehow. They killed more horses than, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe for the seafood company, that'll be a... a, a, a there you go. Yep. Surf and turf. Wow. All right. So, you know... that. A, a good result of, of five years of doing this podcast. We now own some franchises. Yep. If anyone wants to sub-license them, please contact Connor. His phone number is right on the URL for these. <laughs> um, going back to the tale here, it turns out that uh, Forrest has been, as he's in prison, is thinking about uh, Jenny Curran, whoever or whoever she was now, with Little Forrest, who was actually my son which I thought was a, a funny way to put that. But it turns out that Jenny, uh, we learn her last name, which is interesting, and uh, her, her, <laughs> her dying of AIDS was, was purely a, uh, a movie invention. Oh, okay. <laughs> she, was the, she was the muse during the whole movie. That's the only thing I've sort of, like, she was just in the background always. He was doing everything for her, trying to get back to her or something. Yeah, he was uh, he was devoted to her, and she, the way that I remember it and in- interpreted it was that she was. I always felt that she treated him poorly. Um, he was always looking out for her, and she was always like hopping on a bus with some other dude or going off across the country type of thing. So mm-hmm. um, it it seems like he's uh you know somewhat you know devoted to her now, but less in the sort of all encompassing. Uh, you know, star-crossed lover kind of way that it was in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so she just un- so for people who love the movie, she- she's dead already. So this is just a, a, a you know, a, a, oh, she was alive, but now she's dead again, kind of thing, right? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, the 1994, it was, um, you know, the the AIDS crisis was. You know, in the forefront of everyone's mind, so it seems like a sort of shame, shameless introduction into the book uh, to uh, to have that sort of emotional moment at the end. He sort of walks in, and she's dead, but he meets Little Forrest, who's played by Haley Joel. No, like, oh yeah, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pre Sixth Sense. He was just wow. a little, little boy. He says, "Hello, Mister Gump." But uh, you know, my my friend would always talk about how the moment where he's like observing uh, Little Forrest, and he goes like, "Is he smart?" Uh, it was always a moment that made him cry. Wow. Yeah. All right, so he weeps on the end of a pier and doesn't care if he gets eaten by a shark or not. <laughs> Which is, I mean, I guess it's New Orleans, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. That, that is a problem. Uh, but then he becomes, uh, he becomes a, a player for the... Uh, for the football team, for the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, he uh, while he and Snake are talking in the in the in the Husqvarna, uh, Snake, you know, they reminisce about their playing days twenty years ago um, in college football. 
So uh, Snake says, uh, invites him to come to practice and begun scribbling on a bar napkin and says, here's the address of the practice field. Be there tomorrow at one sharp. And so I would just like, the, the, the practice field, the, the, does the note just say the Superdome? You know, the, 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 mm-hmm. the pro football stadium where we, where we play football that if you live here, you've clearly seen every day for the rest of your life. Right. <laughs> and here's the biggest, this is the most stunning thing I thought throughout the first chapter of this book. Uh, Forrest says, I've seen some big fellers in my time. I remember them University of Nebraska players and they was big, but all these fellas, they is not big. They is huge. In case I ain't told you yet, I am 6'6". And weigh about 240 pounds. So I, I had to do some comps there. Because you, you remember the book Tom Hanks is, I don't know, he's probably six feet tall. And, but he's you know a, a skinny guy um, when he's doing all the running in the movie and stuff. 6'6 six, six and 240 pounds. Uh, <laughs> the comp I found was um, former heavyweight boxer Vladimir Klitschko. <laughs> oh, sure. Of course. Yes. Um, he, his brother is currently like a U- Ukraine general or something. Um, Michael Jordan is also six foot six, Kobe Bryant. And this is uh, just slightly less weighing in than Ivan Drago. <laughs> wow. <laughs> from Rocky Four, yeah. who's 260 pounds and is also six six. And uh, Rob Gronkowski, six yeah, six drunk. and 260 pounds. So uh, Forrest Gump is just a absolutely jacked um you know muscly guy who could could fight in the ufc uh it changes things in my opinion it's it's very similar to the this is what i was told by fans of the series the jack reacher movie okay when tom cruise played him to a, a person everyone was telling me like oh i was kind of a fan of those you know pulp novels whatever yeah the whole thing is in it the his distinguishing characteristic is that he is 6'6", 240 pounds, <laughs> and a wall of muscle. And so when Tom Cruise shows up, everyone's like, what? wait, what? Wow. <laughs> um, no, that is like his one feature. Right. Is that he just takes people, you know, grabs them by the scruff of the neck and bangs their heads together. Like, that's his thing. So uh, as much of a discrepancy, I would say. Yeah, no kidding. Tom Cruise, 5'7", it says. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so that's just something to keep in mind throughout the rest of the book is that Forrest Gump could just kick the crap out of anyone in a room. And he's got the speed. So that is, I mean, oh, talk yeah. about Gronk, right? right. Yes, yeah, absolutely. He's a, uh, he's a number one pick. It's surprising that this took him 20 years after school to go into the NFL and, um, not to get ahead of things, but he, he capitalizes on those, on those tools he has at his disposal immediately. Yes. Uh, it says he, they took him back to the uniform room and they found some clothes and shit for me, <laughs> which I think is, is very funny. And, and once you started noticing this, he, he says this a lot. And it, he it, does. Um, I, ha- I, got, I got the count later. I, I did the over and under. Uh, what do you think the over and under in times that Forrest Gump says shit in this book? I started circling them after about three or four. So I'm going to multiply that. I'm going to say three. 31 125 holy cow <laughs> so it's a uh, you know it's a, a little difference if he was you know talking to that old lady on the park bench and was like i don't know i got this chocolate shit like <laughs> it puts him much more into the uh the strip club janitor type i guess than the uh, lovable everyman it had the same effect on me as when i you know i brought a like brought a kid home from college or something and he swore in front of my parents mm. which i'm just like yeah I can't even say, you know, I'm pissed off in my house. Right. My dad will like cuff me upside the head. And, uh, 
but you know, here's this friend. I remember the first, he was just like doing the F word. <laughs> and I was looking like extremely nervously around. <laughs> that was how incongruous this, I didn't know that that was one of, in forests, like that's his wheelhouse. Yeah. I did not know. Yeah. He's just a, I mean, you know, it's, it's that sort of just country, uh, country dumb guy talk, I guess. Uh, so he goes to, you might have something before this, but he goes to, he plays in the game, mm-hmm. which this is also, I guess, a recurring theme. And this is part of the satires that he just, the, all the conventions of life are taken away as Forrest is swept up in these things, right? He just suddenly plays for them. There's no oh. team meetings or he's, he's just, you know, put him in. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I signing guys off the street. I mean, I guess you know you'll always hear about a player that uh, you know he hasn't played in two years, but they're going to team's going to give him a try. So I guess you, in theory, could just do this, but uh, it'd probably be pretty big news, <laughs> right? But anyway, the at the uh, stadium where he plays, when when something bad happens, he begins getting hit by a big half rotten tomato that someone in the stands had brought along to indicate their displeasure. I guess. Yeah. What. What is this, Alice Waters Memorial Stadium? Where are the D batteries? What do you mean they're bringing tomatoes in? Yeah. I, uh, you know, vaudeville audiences are attending uh, late 80s New Orleans Saints games. <laughs> uh, again, I realize it's satire, but that's odd. What? Yeah. Uh, isn't even implying that that's a, a local delicacy. You know, they're, they're serving, you know, po' boys and... Uh, and uh, shrimp in the stands, but no, they're just uh, they're 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 having people with tomatoes. Maybe they had a stand there. We all know this is the reason why when you buy bottled beer, which of course is in plastic now at a uh, at any game, they crack the top off so that you that you can't hurl it as a missile onto the field any longer. <laughs> yes, but uh, Snake uh, explains it. He says, you know, you got to watch out for. Uh, I'm trying to wipe the tomato off my face when Snake says, you sort of got to watch out for them folks throwing things from the stands. They don't mean nothing by it. It's just their way down here. <laughs> so one, he's explaining that to Forrest, who, who lives there. He, uh, he's well familiar with the seedier side of Nolans, but uh, it's, it's just not a stereotype that most people are familiar with, you know? Not too so many Dr. John gate, songs about that. Right. So at the gate, they're, they're bringing in, you know, a box of their produce. Like, yeah, we, you know, we have an agreement with a local farm. We're mm-hmm. on their thing. Well, please step in, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. I noticed most of those are half rotten. Like, <laughs> uh, no, they're just overripe. All right, well, come on in. Or a potential giveaway day, you know. They have like, a, you know, all kids 12 and under. So you've got a 13-year-old kid. Like, just tell them you're 12. Mom, I don't want to lie to you. Just tell them you're 12. <laughs> oh. uh, but but this is, uh, I enjoyed that they the, the Saints were losing 22 to nothing. And uh, in the locker room speech, the coach says that they have uh, thereby lulled them into a false sense of security, <laughs> which is how they're going to uh, deploy Forrest in order to catch them off guard. So it's a questionable strategy if you've got this uh, secret weapon on your team to, um, you know, do something that would only be something that would happen in a cartoon where it's like, we've got him right where we want him. We haven't used the thing for the first half of the game. Uh, we've dug ourselves into a substantial hole. And so now is we're going to start trying. Right. <laughs> Uh, and and this is when the uh, once again it veers into the huh I, I guess this is the style of humor we have. By fourth quarter, we was ahead twenty eight to twenty two, uh, and I ice. It's always hard to go like oh that's and okay. And I iced the game by making a forty yard catch that was thrown by the second string quarterback who had come in for Snake, who was on the sidelines getting his leg stitched up after a giant bit a chunk out of it. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, oh, yes. Funniest book, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, the leg probably was covered in some tasty tomato sauce at that point in time because they've been throwing them at him. They threw tomatoes at his uh, at his buddy Curtis, who had been his roommate at the university. So there's some of that um, fan service, I guess. If you did read the book, that's a big moment. <laughs> uh, all right. I mean, I guess I have to uh, to give that up as as humor and just go uh, like bite an actual chunk out of his leg. Uh, all right. I mean, you know, within two years from this book being published, I think uh, Mike Tyson would bite off part of Evander Holyfield's leg. So this could be one of those just prescient things that he uh, uh, saw coming in in the world, in our world. He's like a Marshall McLuhan type of guy. Winston Groom, you are a national treasure, and I'm sorry we lost you. (laughs) Here's, I want to get pedantic just for a bit because, uh, um, you know, but opportunities come up rarely in here. And I think people's eyes are probably already glazing over at the, uh, at the NFL details, but he's, mm-hmm. he's getting paid, um, you know, um, based on his touchdown passes. So he's, he's like catching, what does it say? Three touchdown passes against the bears. Um, he got, um, he, I think he caught a couple in this game. So he's, he's earning a lot of money. Um, and he has earned, I, I think played four games and got, So he's caught over six touchdown passes. And they're six and eight and moving up in the conference standings. Mm -hmm. NFL famously is a 16-game season. So um, they are at six and eight. They have two more games left in the season, (laughs) it says. And then the week before the next game uh, against the Detroit Lions, I sent Jenny a check for $30,000 for Little Forest after we whoop. So again, 14 games. After we whoop the Detroit Lions and then the Redskins, Colts, Patriots, 49ers, and Jets... I sent her another $30,000, and I am figuring that by the playoffs, I will be on easy street for sure. So the, have, they have now gone 12-8. Uh, and eight. They have played 20 games as they prepare for the playoffs. Okay. <laughs> Just a weird, unforced error to, uh, to do that. If, if you take it at their word, they've won the Super Bowl and then the Pro Bowl by, uh, by playing those, those next six games. Right. <laughs> And uh, keep in mind, I, I just saw a, uh, a clip of this fella, and it reminded me of that. So... So what we have here in Forrest is like Randy Moss mm-hmm. as a receiver in terms of height. Like all Snake has to do is you just throw it up in the air and he goes and gets it because he's 6'6". Yes. And he's a massive man. So he he also, after getting the, te- the, the catch, unlike Moss who, you know, basically would just fall over then because he didn't want anyone to touch him. Uh-huh. I assume Forrest is just like shrugging off piles of guys as he runs into the end zone yeah. after catching the ball. He's Gronk is just a, a stiff arm and they're bouncing off him like uh, in Tech Mobile. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's an unstoppable force of nature, um, you know, and he, he, he it seems like he like puts his hands up, you know, to like ward off tomatoes and that's how he catches the ball. So his, uh, you know, his, his athletic ability depends on how funny the situation is. Right. <laughs> but he is, I mean, it would be, um, you know, for a while there was a guy, Jeremy Lin, probably 15 years ago, who um, came out of nowhere, played for the Knicks, and, like, kept hitting, like, buzzer beaters and scoring 40 points over the course of, like, two weeks. And it was Lin Sanity, and it was the biggest sports story in the nation. And so this plays out over the back half of an NFL season. It would be like, you know, he'd be on every talk show. <laughs> mm-hmm. He would be, um, and especially the fact that he was, you know, he's gone to space. Um, it would be a uh, an, an unstoppable story. <laughs> right. Uh, it would be like... Uh... For those people out there, it would be like Mark the Bird Fidrich. <laughs> uh, yes, <people>. yes. <laughs> no, so, all right, I'm going to get pedantic here as well. Oh, nice. This, now is the time to do it. 
Uh, there's just something about this, this prose and technique that bothered me. So maybe it's my fault. Maybe I'm being too picky. But sometimes when Gump is being quoted, uh, quoting other people, he uses his own vernacular. Yes. Here's, here's an example. Uh, Gump, they says, you has already signed a contract for $1,000 a pass and $10,000 a touchdown for this season. Sorry. Okay, so that's, he's using his own. Yeah. Then another time he quotes, let me tell you this, Gump, the owner says, if you miss just one game because of this ridiculous attempt at highway robbery, I will not only kick you off the team personally, but I will see to it that you don't ever get another job playing football anyplace, at least for money. You understand that? (laughs) So that's Gump quoting him. Okay. So... Which are you going to, is it like, you know, someone telling a story and suddenly like, wait, are you going to do the voice or not do the voice? (laughs) It just struck me as an odd thing to suddenly, suddenly he becomes just a stenographer when someone says something. And other times he's like, all shucks, all they said, done said to me was to go ahead. Here's a direct quote. He done said, why you hog tying, wrestling son of a gun of a done. And then the next time he's like. I will tell you something, Gump. I do not like the way you are behaving yourself. So, very odd. Maybe it was uh, dependent on whether the uh, the team owner or whoever was, was chomping on a huge cigar at the moment he addressed him, because that's essentially the character that he's doing. This. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when he has a cigar in his mouth, he talks like Forrest Gump, and when he doesn't, he, uh, he, he talks like an actual businessman. The owner upstairs is all over my ass, Gump. <laughs> I noticed, it hurts. I noticed that earlier, too, because when he was in jail with, with, with Snake, he said, uh, er- Forrest, every time I come around your big dumb ass, I wind up in hot water. Here, I ain't seen you in years, and look what happens. We is thawed in jail. So, I mean, I guess Snake is the kind of guy that is getting in strip club fights as the quarterback of a professional football team. So maybe he does, uh, has that little bit of that country in him. But it was also very, you don't know whether he's filtering it or not. Yeah, maybe that's his uh, his choice in a, in a storytelling or a joke. You know, like, I'm not going to do the voices. I'm just going to do, I'm going to do me for this one. <laughs> Um, well, he does sign that contract. He, he gets an agent, um, and uh, his name is Butterfield. I don't know if he comes up again, and the owner says, Butterfield, agent my ass, that man is a crook. And I was curious if that was a uh, potentially an inside joke, if that was his groom's agent that like signed the bad contract, if he, if he roasted oh. them in print here. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But then uh, van, the vans can't dance kind of a thing. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then he, he does get a letter from uh, Jenny's mom, Mrs. Curran. Uh, oh, yeah. He, he was actually sweeping up at the strip club during all this time. So when the, you know, when, when the Tonight Show w- was trying to book him, they had to, like, send a guy to the strip club. And, and, and Wanda was like, you know, I'm telling you, he ain't doing no interviews. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, he, he gets a note from, from Jenny's mom. He, he, he reads it and says, by the time I finished reading it, I wished I was dead. So he can read. And so I don't know if that's a, a variable thing or not where he does it depending on whether he needs to. But it says, uh, I don't know how to tell you this. Jenny got very sick about a month ago and her husband Donald did too. He died last week and the next day Jenny did too. Um, so that's, that's where it was confirmed. She, she, she had been alive and, and now has just suddenly departed. Right. That's what I, I, I guess I had... Uh erroneously claimed that she had died earlier because it was so just in the middle of a sentence well, it, it's, you know he was sending her money until then that's right yeah it's it's the it's the crux of the emotional crux of the movie that she's dead so you're you'd be forgiven for picking up the book and assuming that uh, okay but, so she's dead here and again she 
She did die in the movie. That was the third act of the movie. Yeah, I mean that's why he, you know, he he ta- he takes care of the boy at the end. And so you know, when when you look at the cover of this one and it's Gump and Co. and he's sitting on the bench with the boy, you assume that he's been tasked to look after him because of the death, which just you know does occur, just not in, uh, in the way it did in the movie. Uh, is Mrs. Curran in the movie? Uh, <laughs> so we can we can get to that, but I don't think so. I don't think you knew her name, but it was heavily implied in the movie that um, Jenny's dad was uh, abusive to her and maybe in a sexual way. <laughs> so uh, the the loving family that she has here living with, I don't think was part of the thing. That's sort of she you know she went off. She she moved to you know San Francisco and was a hippie and hanging out with questionable people and stripping and using drugs. Um, so it's implied that I think all that was based on this horrible childhood she had. So no. <laughs> okay. Because I, I do I do appreciate the way that Mrs. Curran meets out the information to him. It, a, a little bit comical. And I wonder if she just does not like him or she's just trying to be funny. But, you know, I don't know how to tell you this. Jenny got sick. Uh, her husband, Donald, he he did too. And he, he, he died. <laughs> Oh, Donald, no, that's... Yeah, Donald, I didn't know, Donald I, died. I didn't know Oh, the that next well, day, but... Jenny did too. Oh, my God. <laughs> Lead buried. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's, again, David Brent, uh, you know. Well, yeah. uh, you've, uh, everyone's laid off, but I got a promotion. It's like, that's, that's not good news that's and bad news. That's good, good news and irrelevant news. <laughs> Donald, who gives an absolute shit? <laughs> uh, but we go, he goes to visit. He, I think he quits the, quit, quits the strip club job. Um, sort of throws the saints to I'll get back to you when I can goes over to visit Mrs. Uh, Curran um, they they both cry she gives him milk and cookies and says uh, nobody knows exactly what it was they both got sick about the same time it was very fast and they both kind of slipped away she wasn't in pain or anything in fact she was more beautiful than ever just laid in bed uh, her hair all long and pretty and her face was like it always was like an angel. So it sounds like she's sort of doing some just lost the will to live kind of kind That's of nonsense. exactly what I thought, yeah. But because also- this should be studied. They both got sick and it was very fast and they slipped away, but there was no pain. <laughs> this is like a sci-fi illness or something. Right, <laughs> yeah. It just, and and you, are you not concerned that this is going to happen to you ma'am or to the to the boy like n- nobody knows what it is you could have you looked into it or is it just uh, any curiosity at all yeah it sounds horrible <laughs> two two healthy people raising a small child and now they're just not here anymore oh well did did a kind of a russian looking guy poke them with an umbrella tip as they walked through the streets or <laughs> did a weird flower blow some sort of spore in their face is right. there any clue at all what happened here? yeah did they they watch a mysterious uh vhs tape since this is the uh, right. the 80s. It could have been beta, I guess, since it's of this era. Yes. And then seven days later, they they, they croaked. They croaked. I don't know. Well, they, they talk about this for the rest of the time. And he uh, he goes and looks at Forrest sleeping and uh, says that you know, we'll deal with this tomorrow. But he, he says he's going to stay there for a while and, and have to deal with this. Um, and the chapter ends with him saying, uh, I'm always getting into trouble just about the time things start going good, which I suppose is the penalty you pay for being an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh you know it's not all it's not all yucks larry king you get some morose at times here and forrest you know in the movie he was aware that he was um you know not smart but uh he never was super morose about it yeah and you just picture it too i mean it's all the more um you know it's more pathos because he's his feet are sticking out you know six <laughs> inches from the bottom of the bed and his head is kind of bent up against the 
the headboard itself. So yeah. that paints a sad picture as well. Yeah, Mrs. Curran's uh, accidentally walking in on him in the shower uh, to <laughs> try to catch a glimpse of his rippling pecs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to pull one more pedantic thing. I'm just going to go back to uh, they went inside and she uh, she made him some milk and cookies. Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a fan of that nomenclature and it comes back again. So I'm going to be petty about it when it comes up. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, that would if you, if someone did that at, at a house you were attending, you would give them a firm settle down. That is. Yes, it is. You, you remove them for the packaging and, and, and poured some. All right. Yes. Easy there. <laughs> made some. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we have uh, talked for about an hour here and about one chapter of the book, so we should probably do some fanfic before we move on to the exciting <laughs> happenings of chapter two and three, which revolve around the same substance. Um, but let's do some fanfic before that. And now I bet they bitching because my flow switching, trying to tell me what to write. I bought some fanfiction. Can't they just be happy? I no longer have to face eviction that I'm living All right, so this is going to be our first real or fanfic of Gump & Co., so uh, it's going to be hard to calibrate, I think, but well, maybe we'll see. Maybe you'll surprise me off your, you've raised your average quite a bit in the past uh, few months. Let's see if that carries over. Uh, again, I never have high confidence going in. It's very low here because of my <laughs> lack of knowledge of how the, uh, the whole Gumpiverse works. And uh, these first two chapters led me to believe pretty much anything's possible. Anything so. could happen, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, these are either real passages from later in the book or fanfic written by our beloved Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash 372 pages, where you will be listening to this later this afternoon instead of a week from now. So uh, go on over in there to support that. We've been posting other fun stuff. You got to hear all of Mike's uh, journey to recording this episode, the three separate misfortunes he suffered. <laughs> if that sounds entertaining, I mean, I, you know, that, and I've posted, I've been posting, I, my mom dropped off a... A uh, crate of old crap uh, that they were storing in their house. Among them, books I wrote in first grade that I've been uh, breaking down. Um, they're, they're, I, I find them entertaining. They're, they're, they're quite bad. I don't know if they're as bad as some of the stuff we do on here, but um, yeah, judge for yourself over at the Patreon. Oh, those are those are great, and you're uh, you're a mensch for putting them up there. I don't know no, if I'd let I, my first grade stuff go. <laughs> I might have to have you break one of them down. Um, okay, just, just, just let do the that. gloves come off in case I've been holding back. <laughs> okay. All right. Here's number one. When I get back to Lafayette Park, I seen Lieutenant Dan in some kind of argument with a man in a Marine's uniform. I couldn't hear what they was saying, but I figured it was an argument because Dan was giving the man the finger and the man was giving the finger back. When I get up to our boxes, Dan sees me and says to the feller, and if you don't like it, my friend Forrest here will whip your ass. The Marine turn around and look at me up and down, and all of a sudden he gets a sort of shit-eating smile on his face, and I can see he has got picket teeth in front and he is an officer and is carrying a briefcase. I am Colonel Oliver North, he says to me. And who are you going to whip my ass? <laughs> Colonel, Colonel Oliver. Um, uh, I'm going to say that's fanfic. Okay. Number two. A whole mess of folks probably wondering how I came up with the idea. They'd say, that Forrest, what's he know about computers? Bless his heart. But if you balance his brain on the head of a pin, it roll around like a ball bearing on an eight lane highway. And they probably write. But the answer is even crazier than anyone could figure, even if they had a jillion years. It all come down to that marriage of hoobie, what MacGyver's boys been McGiver's boys give me. After which I smoked, bought I, which after I smoked brought Jenny back to me again. Only this time I can see her, and she's got company too. A man standing next to her, I recognize, but not fully. A glowering sort with thick eyebrows and a mean old scowl. Forrest, Jenny says, you took care of me your whole life, and now it's my turn. 
Since hog farming ain't working out, you're going to need a new way to make money. I even got Mr. Nixon to help. He just got here, and I want you to listen about what he's got to say. I'll take it from here, Miss Curran, says the man. And tween what Jenny called him, and finally hearing his voice, I realize it's the president from back when I was in Vietnam. Mr. Gump, he says, under my administration, a team of scientists invented ARPANET, a way of connecting our top universities and think tanks. This day, it's called the Internet, and it's going to change the world. (laughs) Richard Nixon invented the Internet. Uh, There's a certain Mr. Gore who's got something to say about that. Uh, Wow. Okay. Uh, By the way, do you have a Richard Nixon impression at the ready? I have. uh, Sure, I've got impressions of other people's impressions. Yeah, let's hear it. I'll take it from here, Miss Curran. And between what Jenny called him and finally hearing his voice. Oh, uh, under my administration, a team of scientists invented Arbornet. There you go. Just loosen those jowls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, move, move the head around a little bit. Uh, yes, okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to say fanfic. Okay. Uh, number two. Number three, sorry. I begun to type on the keyboard, but nothing was happening. All I saw was a little yellow man running. The computer started screaming some awful sound, like a cross between a fork in a blender and stepping on a cat's tail. Steve Case put his hand on my shoulder and grinned, This is America Online. The yellow man went away, and suddenly I seen some boxes that were green and yellow. One of the boxes had an open envelope. I pointed to it. You got mail, I said. Steve Case looked at me like he'd seen a ghost. Say that again, Gump. <laughs> oh boy so one of the rules is they could all be fanfic right that's true they could all be real they could all be fanfic i'm gonna say that's fanfic okay okay number four the scowl on the ayatollah's face became darker and darker <laughs> and i could okay. see that the tact and diplomacy was fixing to get us in a lot of hot water and so i tried to lighten the tension with a little joke Excuse me, Mr. Ayatollah, I says. Have you heard the one about the drunk caught driving down a one-way street? Nope. Well, the policeman says to him, Say, didn't you see them arrows? And the drunk says, Arrows? I didn't even see the Indians. For Christ's sakes, Gump, the army man hisses. But just then, the Ayatollah burst out in a big laugh and began slapping his thighs and stamping his feet. Why, Mr. Gump, you do have a sense of humor, don't you? Why don't you and me take a little walk in my garden? The Ayatollah. <laughs> uh, what, what, well, what year are we talking here? Uh, well, I mean, this is about to be, what, 86, I think, is where we're at now. Okay. Uh, hmm. Boy, I, I don't know. I'll say that that's real. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you, you say it's real and you're disgusted. Uh, number five, final one. Say, I asked, what's your name anyhow? What's it to you? Well, you look sort of like somebody I knowed once, that's all. Yeah, who? A feller from the army, way back in Vietnam. What'd you say your name was again? Gump. Yeah, I knew a Gump one time. What's your first name? Forrest. Oh, shit, the feller says, and he throws his arms up over his face. I might have known it. Well, who in the hell are you, I asked. Good God almighty, Forrest, don't you recognize me? I crawled across the straw and got real close up to his face. Why, you're... No, I reckon you don't. I wouldn't expect you to. I've kind of gone down recently, he says in between coughs. Lieutenant Dan, I shouted and grabbed him by the shoulders. But when I looked into his eyes, there is an off- they is an awfully sort of milky white, like he can't see or something. Lieutenant Dan, what has happened to you, I says. Your eyes. I'm mostly about half blind now, Forrest. Well, wait a minute. 
He doesn't recognize Lieutenant Dan has no legs, correct? <laughs> it does. I mean, in the movie, at least, yeah. <clears throat> he doesn't recognize hmm, <laughs> any distinguishing features, any scars, or. Um, well, that is that is an odd one. If it is fanfic, it is subtle. But because I'm a maverick, I'm going to say that's fanfic. Okay. All right, let's review. Number one was uh, meeting Colonel Oliver North in the park and Lieutenant Dan's giving him the finger. You said fanfic. That's real. <laughs> oh, God. A couple people wrote in fanfic about Oliver North, so I don't know if they had read ahead. So settle down with that, I think. You can't just, like, take something that happens in the book and change it slightly. Right? Yeah, that, that. that's cheating because Oliver North is, that's the whole nut there of getting me to. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. But anyway, um, I, I, I don't. That that whole that whole thing happened when I was young enough not to pay attention, so I don't know what he's going to do. But uh, tell him to shred things, maybe. Uh, number two, uh, this was uh, Mister Nixon coming back as a ghost with the aid of Jenny to help Forrest Gump uh, invent the internet or something. Yes, you, you said fanfic. That was fanfic. Okay, All written right. by someone who goes by Jam Handy. Fifty percent right now. Fifty percent. Yep. Number three, that was Steve Case, and you've got mail. Uh, you said fanfic. That was fanfic. Oh, submitted that by would have Michael been humiliating. <laughs> that one I liked quite a bit. That would. Uh, I yeah. think this is probably though a little. I probably started using AOL in 1994, um, right around when this was probably coming out, and so I don't know if it had achieved the cultural saturation that he would have banked this on. Uh, number four, meeting the Ayatollah, um, telling him a drunk driving joke. You said real. That was real. Mm. Submitted by Craig. So what? You're three for four right now. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And then number five, uh, you that was a meeting Lieutenant Dan, and he's going blind. You said fanfic. That was real coming. Oh uh, so, man. So who Dang. knows? That one was mostly dialogue, which I don't think you know people don't really do that with fanfic. So that's that's that was you're right. That was subtle if it was, but it wasn't. So three Dang. for five. That's still you know I think that still raises your average. Ah, uh, I'll take it. But I was really on the, I was 5149 on that last one. And I, uh, <laughs> ah, that'll always haunt me. I'll be Larry Bird at the 1985 uh, finals. Oh, just man. eating my guts out <laughs> or missing that shot. Something tells me that you might have forgotten about this within the next 10 minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well done in the fanfic. It's going to be very hard because. Obviously, all you have to do is have cameo appearances, and, yep. and it's all based on. <laughs> come on, Mike, you're going to roll the dice. Is uh, you know, is Gregory Peck make a <laughs> showing up in his? Right, but it's uh, it's just you know, remembering some uh, remembering some '90s stuff. It's very Kleinian in terms of like let's let's think of something that happened, and uh, you know, is Forrest going to join the the '92 Dream Team? Um, is he going to? Well, I mean, I guess we'll get to it. So. Right. Save your bullets, right. people. Don't. Right. Uh, it can't all be just uh, thinking of crazy stuff. Is he going to uh, point Richard Jewell in the direction of something? Like, uh, let's. Uh, <laughs> we got. We got to be subtle. That would be. Uh, that would be a dark one. But yeah, all right, so. let's do it. <laughs> Boy. Um, chapter uh, two. Chapter two. Um, well, I mean, there's no dancing around it. These these two chapters are, are primarily focused around. One specific incident, but let's let's save it just till we get there, just in case anyone is uh, anyone is is not reading along, because this is something that you would think 100% was fanfic if someone 
um, sprung it upon you in the contest. Exactly. And to uh, not to get ahead of it, but just my view on it, I cannot believe how much is devoted to this particular <laughs> thing it's... that seems like uh, a passing mention at best would be even would be an eye roll instead yes. we are drilling down on this baby <laughs> yeah if it was a if it was a montage moment you'd be like oh boy uh i feel like every joke about that's been made but no the uh with the with the enthusiasm of of uh of ernest klein describing uh, remember how he he described every level of that video game in Ready Player Two? Of course, uh, that's that's what this is like here. But for before that, we get some we get some ape pedantry. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he goes in. He he wakes Forrest up in the morning, um, and he uh, says introduces himself. He says, "I'm Forrest. Uh, you remember when I met you a while back up in Savannah?" And the boy says, "You're the one with the funny monkey." Yeah, Sue. But he's not a monkey. He's a purebred orangutan. So, so Forrest is, is is the one correcting the boy, and uh, not exactly the uh, the father and son reunion at a field of dreams. I'm just gonna say, <laughs> especially because this also, boy's mother is dead, right? And also, is I think this is correct. He uh, so Forrest can mispronounce things, even though they're homonyms. He spells them wrong in his head. Pure bread. <laughs> yeah, I he's using the that. word bread as in you know. Uh, flour and water, and I believe it is pure bread, right? Am I am I wrong? Is... I don't think it is. Uh, yeah, pure bread, right? D E D B B R E D. Yes, but in his own head, he's saying the word bread like he thinks, and I guess that's a joke. Again, yeah. Larry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, pure bread, and then on the heels of that, he says orangutan the way that you know a lot of people say that, but it is of course um, there's no n a n g. It is just Correct. a tan. Um, so. <laughs> a lot of humor packed in that one little sentence there. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but speaking of, now hang on. Yeah, yeah. I just remembered this. I forgot that I had this in my pocket. Um, speaking of how this amuses Larry King, mm-hmm. the uh, I assume we all, for those of a younger, like Larry has not been with us for a while. Um, so if you're yeah, a couple, old. Year or two, I think. Yeah, two years, I think. Um, but you you have a history with. With Larry King, I forgot about this. It's and weird that we didn't bring it up yet. We um, should have brought this. This is so strange that yeah. you, and in fact, this book, you, yes. uh, when no. this came out, you confronted Larry King and challenged the fact that he called it the funniest novel <laughs> he had ever read. Now, that is odd. I don't know the circumstances of it, but obviously I was able to get a hold of the, the tape of that. Yeah, because it was in the green room of his show, so he uh, yeah he had a Nixon thing going on. Speaking of, he yes, he'd record he had everything. Little foot pedals that would turn on the recorder. He <laughs> knew that someday, you know, history would demand to know what he was doing in his off off hours in his office. Right, and so when he came out with his review, you uh, you obviously have your own opinion and thought it was so wrong that you went and confronted Larry King, and we have the we have the tape of it. So why don't we just. Roll that and get it out of the way because we're oh, going to mention this is, Larry King a lot. In this, this is yes, and this is the first time I'll be hearing this. I did not know this had been recorded, so this is of course not because you just yeah. went into the back back room, and I was also uh, thirteen, so it's like yeah. You know, I mean, the time is uh, you you might hear references that'll place it in its time, oh, but good. Uh, you might okay. Let's uh, let's let's roll that tape of uh, this is uh, Connor Connor Lasoka confronting. The great, the late great Larry King. This is Larry King. I'm live in my green room. Go ahead, Larry. Ah, I love telling myself to go ahead. 
Anyway, who am I interviewing for two hours tonight? Ah, Eva Longoria. Can't wait to match wits. Now to quickly write my column. Pound for pound, David Mamet is one of our best playwrights. Full stop! Crinkle cut as quickly equipsing waffle as my favorite fried potato shape. And column done. Hello, who's this? Ah, uh, Mr. King. Sorry to barge in like this, but I'm Connor Lestoka, and I'm here to convince you that there's something funnier than what you called the funniest book you've ever read. Ah, uh, 100 Years of Solitude. But no, no. You said that of Gump and Co. by Winston Groom. Oh, <laughs> right. So damn funny. No, no, sir. It's not funny. And to convince you, I randomly scooped some funny things into this backpack, and I'm here to prove that they're funnier than Gump and Co. Okay, all right, let's see. Uh, uh, there you go. Oh, let me see here. The collected works of Mark Twain. No, no, not that. Uh, the great Hal Holbrook played Twain at the Music Box Theater in Denton, Texas. I sat next to a young Matthew McConaughey. Never laughed once, though Matthew brought me some Starburst. All right, okay, well, let's forget Twain. Let's see what other funny stuff I have. Naha! Let me see here. Marx Brothers movie. No! God damn The comedian Jackie Gleason and I once shared a hot tub with Harpo's widow, the lovely and talented Susan Fleming. Great gams on that dame. Mr. King, please try to focus. Okay. All right, here's something funnier than Gump and Co. Let me see that. Laurel and Hardy, the hell roach years. Oh, damn it. Why did I raid the back seat of Nelson's car? Wait, 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 wait. What is that I see? The comedy stylings of Method Man? What, what, this? The hilarious antics of Red Man himself? Yeah, my beloved DVD of How High. I keep it close to my heart at all times, as befits its status as... The the greatest greatest comedy comedy of of this this or or any any century? Yeah! Carter Lestoka, how would you like to work for a broadcasting giant... To meet every celebrity under the sun and collect a hefty paycheck while doing it. No thanks, Mr. King. There's a small company doing colorization of old black and white movies, and I'd rather hitch my wagon to their star. Fair enough. I'll go back to laughing out loud at Gump and Company. (laughs) Lieutenant Dan stole all of Forrest's money. Wow, yeah, it's that's just like I remembered it. We, well, we, it should be. It's, the, ended actual, up, it's I, the actual I thing. Started up off angry and then ended up bonding with him over a shared love of probably the greatest comedy of the 21st century yes. so far. So and, far. And you you turned down a job. Let's wow. talk about yeah. Forrest Gump. You I, were yeah. there. You could have been. It would have been. Wow, yeah. the right-hand man of Larry King. Could have been his Adam Egot or, uh, I mean, could have been <laughs> oh, sitting, hunching with him behind uh, home plate at the Dodgers game. But, you know, I don't. no regrets. Absolutely no regrets. No, nor, nor should you. But uh, you turned him around. So, so good job. <laughs> All right. You. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now uh, we know the, the height of humor. This is why I felt the need to confront him. This, the uh, purebred. Yes. Uh, now we get a we we've talked about this phenomenon a lot where a writer will come up with a name and mm-hmm. then other characters will make fun of the name and, and I throw the flag on that play to yes. to use another football term. This is what a uh I think this is the team owner or whatever. Don't hand me that bullshit gump. I know all about you and your so called agent, Mr. Butterbutt, or whatever his name is. <laughs> all right. 
look, Winston Groom, you came up with this. Yes. You don't get to then riff on it, especially with something as lame as butter butt. (laughs) Uh, I I just, for all writers, don't do that in your your writing. Yeah, it's the the Mr. Woodcock phenomenon, we call it, I think. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> but you know if that is his uh if that is his actual agent who negotiated him the bad deal that could be a uh a, a slam that winston had been wanting to trot out for you know quite a while now so maybe that was the case that could be yeah yeah uh right before he he appeared to talk to his agent because he gets fired from the saints right yes oh no i'm sorry he does play one more game uh but he he had jenny appeared to him at her grave um, and it had this introduction that reminded me of another book that we've read in our thing. Uh, I, Forrest, it's okay, I heard a voice say. I turned around, but ain't nobody there. I said, it's okay, Forrest, the voice says again. It was ellipses. It couldn't be ellipses. It was Jenny! <laughs> so, not Dumbledore from uh, from My Immortal, but it was a. <laughs> it put me into mind of that legendary uh, yes. 27 ellipses ellipses. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, which I don't know what to make of the appearances of, of Jenny uh, and whether obviously that's going to be book long. I, I feel like what was the reason for having killed her with one phone call that was two lines long <laughs> when he he could have had her maintain her, her position as a muse here, yeah. right? Because he just inexplicably has her alive at the beginning and then a scant chapter later kills her for no particular Right. So he no. could have just had her be alive and showing up and giving him these same sort of like, you know, forest little talks and things. Right. Or, you know, you, you have that happen in between books, uh, you know, hand wave it away. It, it is an odd decision. Yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, he, he gets called Mr. Butterbutt, um, uh, fired because he, I guess he missed the playoff game. He was just watching it on the on the TV with Mrs. Curran, and the Saints got the floor wiped with them. I think it was the playoffs. Um, they lost 42 to nothing. Um, and that says, that ended my professional football playing days. And so the next morning, he's looking through the papers at the job ads. Um, and I was just wondering if, you know, if Mr. Butterbutt had fielded calls from all 28, 29 teams, maybe just 28 teams <laughs> to, to recruit his services for the next season since he was now a, a free agent. But I guess not. I guess he was just, uh, he ends up taking a, a job as a, as a door-to-door salesman. Yeah, it does seem, I, I don't know what sort of behavior would get you disqualified if you are, in fact, six foot six top mountain of, of uh, you know, just absolute muscle. Mm-hmm. And obviously have the hands, again, of a Randy Moss or, or you know. And yeah. I, I, is there anything? I guess you could <laughs> If there's one thing the NFL Moss, has like, taught us over 20 yes, years, you, no. <laughs> uh, how many stabbings would you have to do? Uh, how many running over uh, meter maids and pinning them against, you know, uh, <laughs> light poles would you have to do? Apparently, they're, you know, just missing a game is enough. Yeah, and that's you're you know, out of the league. For players it. quitting on their teams happens all the time. So you you'll quickly find uh, another job from a team that thinks you can turn them around. Especially if it's just a uh, if you had an uh, explanation like the mother of my child died. <laughs> yes, but no, he uh, he decides that he's going to go uh, find a want ad. He meets uh, um, he heads down to the peanut store. Mm-hmm. Um, where he uh, he's going to meet a someone to set him up with a obviously a, a scam a, a multi level marketing scheme from the beginning 
And uh, it turns out that it is selling encyclopedias door to door. Yeah, I feel like the person that he meets is the fox that Pinocchio meets. This guy is, hat. yes, on his, in his spare time is tying damsels to railroad tracks. That's, yeah. that's what this guy is up to. Uh, or he's in guys and dolls, like you know, throwing a dice against the wall or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, but he he hears Forrest saying like, you know, I need a job. I'm so desperate. I'll do anything. And he's leaning around the corner with his hand cup to his ear to hear that with the, <laughs> his, his <laughs> drooling and teeth bared. Yes. <laughs> uh, but but it did make me think. Again, we're I, I may be repeating a beat here, but he could be. Even on like a, a semi-professional water polo team or something, like making way, way more than doing what he's sure, doing here. Yes. I'm just, there's a lot of other things like I feel like he could be doing. Right, yeah. He Rather could be than into... immediately going to the bottom of the, oh, I feel like this is the bottom. Right, even a second tier football league or something, uh, you know, or celebrity yeah, boxing at this point. Canadian league, celebrity, yeah. Bo- yeah, so many things. Anyway, he takes up the... Uh, uh, encyclopedia salesman. So yeah. the, the the wheel of cliches has been spun. There's nothing we can do about it. Here we are. <laughs> uh, they uh, they they go through a training period, and the whole gist of it is, is that you quote unquote give these people the encyclopedias, but you make them sign a contract that says every year they have to buy like the update version that costs X amount of money. So it's a it's a it's a long term scam, but it's a, it's it's predatory on these people. Um, and we got encyclopedias one year. That was our family's like big Christmas gift one year. Ooh. And I don't think I have to tell you how how devastating that was. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> As a you know a thirteen year old or something, just being like, "What's it going to be this year?" Like Super Nintendo or something, and then just like, I have I have to go for a walk. <laughs> And then you you pull out the uh, the eye to check whether Israel's there not or yet. Like th- this was written pre nineteen forty seven. You found those in Grandma's attic, Dad. Uh, yeah, it, no, but uh, it was it was uh, you know New World books, but it was also you know this is probably around this time this movie came out and the uh, the advent of the old uh, Microsoft and Carter was just around the uh, mm-hmm. around the thing. So it was like, can we get a CD ROM? Like, no, we've got perfectly good encyclopedias. <laughs> Uh, we had them too. Yes, they're so bad. Uh, I'm going to burn a dumb sentence of the week just because I feel like our, our listeners will have plenty of those anyway. Uh, so this is the the feller in the white suit. Okay. Uh, he slammed the door so hard the room shook, and I was afraid the doorknob might have hit the first man in the asshole. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah, this, get, walk us through this one because um, this one was sent in by I believe three separate readers, okay, listeners as well. Right. <laughs> uh, this was the equivalent to me of reading like when he when he said like a bunch of shit and stuff. That was also a sort of a <clears throat> slight yeah. moderate spit take. This was a full spit take. <laughs> this was like when I used to do a lot of stand up, and there would be a guy, a mild mannered dude who would get up and he just had one liners, and they were sort of like. Um, you know, just kind of quizzical and clever little, they were clean as a whistle, but sure. they were sort of, you know, sort of spacey and, 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 you know, there was a lot of comics doing that kind of absurdities and things. Got it. And one night he went blue and I mean, <laughs> he went hard blue and uh, <laughs> my, my dear friend, Frank Conniff and I in the back, actually Frank Conniff was rolling on the floor, like face <laughs> cherry red. 
spitting all over like this was the greatest moment (laughs) a heel turn and comedic form like yeah it's just he just decided he made no announcement about it and and the jokes one was filthier than the next and it was absolutely droopy dog voice saying yes that's uh, exactly play material yeah it was hilarious that's a little bit of I had a little bit of the effect of this. Yeah. So specific, so gross and weird. Because <laughs> you could imagine Tom Hanks, like, sort of uh, sitting there politely in his suit, have, watching the door slam and, like, you know, <laughs> jumping in his seat, but then having that thought in his head is a pretty, uh, pretty incredible. <laughs> yes. Uh, so he, he does go out there. He says that they, uh, they, they don't go to the nice neighborhoods because um, the people in the nice neighborhoods is probably too smart for the. Um, to fall for the scam they're trying to pull. And I just imagined, you know, he's he's in you know, New Orleans suburbs, I guessing, but they're like, uh, hey, weren't you the uh weren't you the NFL MVP this year? <laughs> As he's yeah. knocking on the door like <laughs> <laughs> Yes. My, you're a tall drink of water. Oh, I know who you are, obviously. <laughs> he's holding all uh, you know, twenty six volumes of the encyclopedia in, in one hand as he's knocking on the door with the other. My son has four posters of you in his room. Uh, he, he, he does tell, uh, he goes back home for some reason to tell little Forrest what he's doing. And, uh, as we've nitpicked on the, uh, length of the NFL season and whether you can make someone milk and cookies, uh, Forrest, uh, has a bit of that in him as well. Uh, he, he shows Forrest some of the encyclopedias and when, uh, when he's finished, look for little Forrest looks at one of the book and says, this is a bunch of shit. Yes. He's like, oh, wait, no, I had, I, I had, I had shown him a copy of Gump and Co. instead. That's a... <laughs> But uh, he, 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 chastises, he chastises and he says that's no way for a seven-year-old to be talking. But Forrest says, it's true. Look at it. Half of this stuff is wrong. And he points to a drawing that says 1956 Buick and says, that's a 55 Buick. The 56 didn't have fins like that. And look at this, too. That's an F-85 fighter plane, not an F-100. So Little Forrest is like one of the first guys to like, you know, get into Wikipedia edit wars with people. He's, right. a, he's an um-actually guy. <laughs> Pushing his glasses up and, uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, you could see why maybe Forrest had, uh, you know, let Jenny and, and, and Donald raise this kid on his own if he's this annoying. And again, how old are we talking for this kid? He says seven. Seven, he's like okay. He's like uh, the Jerry Maguire kid. Okay. <laughs> and, and I like this, too, in terms of, uh, you know, what, what time is this happening? Uh, the, uh, the, the fox in the, in the boater hat says, you got to catch him at just the right time, see? Right after the husband's gone off to work and before they take their kids to school, see? If you see a yard with toys for little kids who ain't old enough to go to school, you save it for later in the day. And he says, the next best time is right after the soap opera is over and before they got to go pick up the kids again or the husband gets home from work. And it's like, this is you know, approaching the 90s, right? It's not 1956. Like, everyone's just in curlers all day long in their, in their robes, like, uh, sitting at home watching TV all day. Well, that's exactly... I have the note just one sentence later. So he knocks at a door and sees the woman there. Do I look like I got a minute? She answers. Her hair is up in curlers, okay. and she is wearing a nightgown. <laughs> so I, I pegged it at Bewitched 1963, but okay, uh, you yeah. can choose your <laughs> yeah. as well. Potentially, you know, also Andy Capp's wife uh, type of thing. Um, but yeah, she's you know she has a uh, pack of cigarettes uh, under the sink that she pulls out, so she's smoking one of those and uh, <laughs> holding a bottle that. of uh, you know early times or something right. some of the face green face cream i guess type of thing yes. yep it's, it travels in archetypes here uh cartoon stereotypes but 
that's before he uh, he he meets his next uh, potential sales victim, and uh, he's, he gets up to a mansion. He's he's sick of tired of having the door slammed in his face. He also has feel, felt bad for people. Uh, but he, he rings the door and was about to go on his way when the door opened. It was a lady standing there wearing a red silk gown and carrying a cigarette holder in his hand. She was older than me, but still very beautiful with long, wavy brown hair and a lot of makeup. So I think he's wandered into the neighborhood of Cinemax Acres here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and is, her name is uh, Alice Hopewell, but says, or Mrs. Hopewell, but says to call him Alice. And... Um, Exactly what you'd expect to think happens here is going to happen. She's essentially Mrs. Robinsoning him. Yeah, I assume you can hear the. I, this is the '90s, but let's just imagine the uh, '80s the dirty saxophone playing as she answers the door. <laughs> yeah. It pans up from yeah the leg that's sticking out of her robe. Um, yeah, she's inexplicably wearing heels at home during the day. Right, which you know that when when you think of the '90s, that's what you think of is uh, <laughs> women at home putting on silk nighties and carrying cigarette holders. Uh, but but we 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 learn quickly that it is not it is not the '90s, despite our uncertainty. It is a very specific moment in time, and I believe that is uh, 1987 because we yes. we get introduced oh at '85. Hmm. But we we get a a whole subplot here. Uh, he, she gets in. She says she's going to buy buy the encyclopedias. Um, she asks him if he wants something to drink, and he says that he will take a Coca Cola, all one word, camel cased. Very annoying. <laughs> Very. And not a typo. But uh, he he takes a swig of the Coca Cola, and it tasted horrible. For a moment, I thought she'd done poured me something else besides Coca Cola, but she hadn't. On a fact, account of the can, she'd done left the can right there on the side table. And uh, he, he wished he had an RC Cola or something, which I think is the first RC Cola mentioned on our podcast. But then uh, he, he goes looking for something else, and there's 50 cans of Coke. He opens another one, took a great big swig. Arrgh! I had to spit it out. It tasted like shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it didn't taste exactly like shit, whatever shit tasted like. It tasted Ugh. like a combination of turpentine and bacon grease, et cetera, et cetera. So, yes, at this point I'm reading this going, oh, okay, he sees, he gets a Coca-Cola. So this is curious because so co new Coke has already come out is what mm -hmm. we're, this is a commercial product that is in her refrigerator. Well, her, her husband is revealed to work for Coke. So I, I thought it might have been a, you know, take, take, a, ba a batch to take home. Okay. So this is a prototype, I guess. Yes. yes. That he takes home. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let me... <laughs> maybe I can set the stage. I, I remember specifically the... I, I was old enough. I was in college. Yeah, the new Coke phenomenon. A girlfriend who was a, was a lifeguard at a local pool in my college. And I uh, very ceremoniously bought the new Coke. <laughs> <laughs> and took it with a bunch of friends, too. And we broke into the not broke in she worked there but she let us into the municipal pool and we had a party drinking the new coke wow wow <laughs> i mean you know yeah if stranger things rips this plot point off yes season, you've got to uh <laughs> and um i think everyone was just going like it's fine i don't eh, whatever it certainly didn't make any impression on us it just was such a cultural thing that everyone we had to do it and it was a, so, a, a an immediate punchline, though, right? Or was that just in retrospect? Like, because I only know about it from the punchlines, The Simpsons, and 
um, you know, whatever else might, you know, David Letterman, I think probably had top 10 lists. Sure. I don't remember the timeline. I feel like they switched back pretty quickly, which of course led everyone <laughs> to suspect that they had never meant to do it, that it was just a gigantic stunt either way. But right. it, it did seem very quick and it would, you know, you're, you're living your life. I'm trying to go through college. I, you right. know, I have a girlfriend and I, I don't really, it's not making much of an impression on right. me. Right. It was a, it was a, it was a blip on the radar. However, in Gump and Company, it is a, is worthy of two chapters here. It, so this is why I was still curious, like, okay, so there's a little side swipe at the new Coke. Uh, can we get past this? Can we meet Oliver North? Can we invent the internet? No, 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 no. So he, uh, so I don't remember new Coke. I do remember crystal Pepsi fondly, however. And that was, that was sort of the, that the new Coke of our day. Sure. But he, he, he decides that he needs to, um, He's so thirsty, he needs to fix this. And so he starts rooting around in her cabinet. He gets, like, cumin, Tabasco, tarragon, vinegar. He just adds stuff into it, like when you're a kid and you're making a, a witch's potion by just pouring in all this stuff from your, your yeah. spice cabinet. Uh, in fact, he says he was starting to feel like one of them desert gold prospectors baking to death under the sun. So uh, Forrest does know his his Old West Hollywood stereotypes here, perhaps because he's wandered into one in this moment. <laughs> I don't get the connection, but sure. Like, I guess he's just, he's going to end up with gold. Is that what he's saying? Like, uh, I think he was just so hot. I thought, I don't even think it was worthy of, uh, like doing alchemy. I think he was just so thirsty that that was what he felt like. <laughs> oh, okay. So he's, he's in a, is he in a non air conditioned home? Is that the problem here? <laughs> yeah, he's been in there for a while. Like, true. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure. It is, it is the South, but maybe he just has a, maybe she keeps it hot to try to get her, uh, strapping encyclopedia salesman shirts off to reveal their uh their their chiseled bodies uh but so he's doing all of this and then uh just then mrs hopewell returned to the kitchen so i assume she was in putting on another penwah or uh yeah, slipping into something more comfortable slipping into something a little more <laughs> swapping out cigarette holders um <laughs> Putting on sharper stiletto heels, yeah. Uh, changing the LP to Jerry Rafferty's greatest hits. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows what was happening? <laughs> but she says, uh, "I'm amazed anybody can drink that crap." My husband, in fact, is the fellow that invented it. Something they want to call New Coke. Um, and she says, goes on to do some. Uh, you know, we'll have to ask Larry King. But uh, you're the first person who's ever got a whole glass of it down without gagging. My husband's the vice president of Coca-Cola in charge of research and development. Some research, some development, if you ask me. W what is her joke there? Um, <laughs> I feel like it's one of those that your aged uncle tells you and you all agree to, you know, ha laugh <laughs> half-heartedly. Right. I mean, I can understand delivering it like a joke. Some research, some development, if you ask me. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's mind over matter. Uh, if you don't mind, it don't matter. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, at least that okay, makes sense. Okay. However, like, there's a way to make it work, I think. But uh, All right. So she tells him to, she wants a back rub um, just to really get the vibe going. She walks into the room where there's music playing through speakers in the ceiling, and they were a big old Chinese gong sitting there by the bed, which I assume her favorite podcast sent to her. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh she says to start rubbing so the more i rubbed the louder uh oh she began to make little ooh ah sounds the more i rubbed the louder they got 
Lower, lower, Mrs. Hopewell says. I gone on and rubbed lower, and the more I did, the lower I got. And uh, finally she began to pant, and then she reaches over and hit the Chinese gong. And then says, take me, Forrest, she moans. Um, and his response is, where do you want to go, I asked. I thought his response was going to be, um, ma'am, my orphan son is waiting at home. His mother died <laughs> not 48 hours ago, so I really should be doing that. But oh well. <laughs> I thought the response was going to be, uh, ma'am, you obviously think that you're in a Walter Matthau movie from 1958. <laughs> uh, and this is, in fact, the 80s. And so I had best be going and you can uh, Continue do whatever delusions. you're doing now. Uh, <laughs> well, that happens too. The uh, the Mathau character uh, comes in the door. Um, uh, he's in a suit and tie and steel rim glasses. Kind of looks like a Nazi German, which <laughs> I thought was just purely a reference to Raiders of the Lost Ark. That guy. And That's then... exactly what I was thinking. When the... yes, okay. <laughs> and the timeline would have been right, right? The eighties. Yeah, sure. yeah. Yep, yep. So there you go. Um, and then uh, he he takes a, a a drink of it, I guess. And uh, is, or is amazed that he's drinking it, either whatever. And Forrest says that I fixed it. Fixed it how? I put some stuff from the kitchen. Let me see. And then he goes and drinks it and says, my God, this shit ain't half bad. You fixed this? How the hell did you fix it? Uh, I done put a few things from the pantry in it. You, the masseuse? He's not exactly a masseuse. This is, again, Larry King yucking it up throughout this entire screwball comedy type of thing. But so he comes in and... His wife is moaning, lower, lower, take me, Forrest. <laughs> yeah, he's oblivious. And a six-foot-six six wall of, of muscle is standing there, mm-hmm. uh, massaging his, his wife, who is wearing nothing but a towel. <laughs> and his immediate concern, and I, I know this is played for humor, but he because he does it again and again, like, you fixed it. He says you fixed it like ten times. Yeah. Um, his immediate concern is, of course, the, the new Coke prototype, which he did. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so now I, I have made the horrifying realization, oh, my God, we're, we're doing this. Yeah. We're, we're going into New Coke. There's the no scene getting is still going on. Yeah. <laughs> and it starts to get, you know, very tricky to, to parse out why this is happening. Because I guess I might have been wrong when I corrected you about the, the commercial nature of this. Uh, because he says, it didn't taste good. Why, you moron, it tasted like shit. Don't you think I know that? And you have made it at least drinkable. Do you have any idea what something like this is worth? Millions, billions. So it just, the way that the Forrest Gump works is that he, you know, like I said before, he he's wearing his leg braces, he waddles around, and that's what Elvis sort of mimics that, like, bow-legged strut. Yeah. That's something that happened. In here, they've created the new Coke. I mean, what happened is they released new Coke, everyone hated it. They didn't then fix the new Coke they said, okay, we're giving you the Coke Classic. Um, they didn't have to like invent an uh, alchemical combination to then make the new Coke good because they hadn't poured all the other Coke down the drain or thrown away the formula. <laughs> Correct. They, they simply uh, did a do-over and said, so now there's Classic Coke and New Coke. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, yeah. They, they've, they've posited here that the only way to keep the company going is to then fix this new coke formula by adding you know cumin and worcester sauce to it um and that's what he wants Forrest to do although Forrest, of course can't remember what he did yes and <laughs> hence a hilarious uh i mean it just goes right into chapter three obviously it should end here yeah yeah um the he last says, line oh, yeah. should be and that was my experience with the coca-cola company never did find out what happened with that new coke Hardy right. Mark, Larry laughs. 
Yeah, or if he, end of scene. <laughs> he added, he's like, yeah, I used, uh, you know, sprinkles and, um, you know, French's mustard, and that's what made it taste good. And then he, he sees it on a TV later, like Cope Prophet soaring. Yes. Also, the horny old booze hound uh, of abroad suggests a three-way <laughs> uh, and then goes and beats on the gong some more um, just to just to just to cap that off. Oh, you. where is that? Oh, please, she says please. Uh, they're debating. Uh, they're making they're mixing things in there. She's out in the doorway, you know, hand on the doorframe, frustrated and says, you fools, there ain't no made it make that crap any good. Why don't we all go lay down in the bed and see what happens? <laughs> <laughs> wow. OK. But yeah, uh, chapter three, um, he has to. He tells Jenny's mom um, that he's got to go off and fix coke. <laughs> he's got to go to Atlanta. Uh, yeah, okay. So from New New Orleans, from New yeah. Orleans, and and before he does that, though, she says, "You've got to tell Forrest that you're his father." Somehow he doesn't know that. He says, "I thought Donald was his father," and she says, "You've got to be the one. It can't be me." And. Uh, <laughs> Forrest doesn't take it well He says you know Grandma Oh I guess he didn't think Donald was his father He says Grandma says My daddy's coming to get me Soon Any day now He says Your grandma's wrong He done tuck sick like your mama And he Oh I guess Donald didn't die here Donald died off somewhere else he Oh says, what he, he done took sick like your mama And he didn't get well either So he's He's breaking the news That Donald is dead as well um, He says He didn't get well So I'm gonna have to take care of you now And he says That's not so My daddy is coming I would think that, like, you know, oh, cool, like the reigning NFL MVP is my dad. That might be a, something a seven-year-old would enjoy, but right. Forrest Jr. Is, is taking it harder than you'd expect. Um, I'm going to go back and nitpick really quick, and then we can go back. Please, please. In, in media rest. Uh, next morning, I get up bright and early, and Mrs. Curran made me some cereal and helped me get my bag packed. Damn you. Wow. I'm going to put a stop to this. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, if all he's eating is milk and cookies and cereal like that, it might be coming up throughout. So uh, take note, fan fiction authors. Uh, people are making them. My my dad used to make granola, and so in the, and it wasn't that good. But he'd go, I baked some granola, so have that for breakfast. We go, oh damn, <laughs> dad did. In that case, dad made me some cereal. Yes, okay. yes, yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah, what, baking uh, transforms it. I think. Yes. <laughs> They, uh, they fly to uh, Atlanta, I think, in a private jet. Uh, on the whole time, Mrs. Hopewell's putting her hands on his leg and stuff like that. So she's like, you know, trying to uh, join the Mile High Club, as opposed to what I assumed she would be doing, which was just, you know, staying home and trying to bang the next person that came to their door, like the gutter cleaner or the pool boy or something. Yeah, why is she going to Atlanta I, with that drag Mr. Hopewell? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I think just for the, uh, for the potential comedy that's around the corner. As he takes off his uh, granny glasses and wipes them with his handkerchief and goes, it would be very interesting for you to come to Atlanta with me, my dear. (laughs) All right, sounds good. Yeah, right. Yeah, the Nazi thing, just uh, an unforced error, it seems like. Yes. Uh, But and then so he goes there, he meets a uh, in a white smock like Dr. Kildare or something. Oh, I have that as uh, my note there is, huh, Connor? Uh, yeah, I just Dr. gonna Kilder. need an explanation. Did not uh, did not Google it. What's the deal? I think it was a popular TV show, just like a uh, uh, you know soap opera, but evening drama yep. from the fifties, maybe. It says uh, sixty one through sixty six. Okay, all right. Well, it's before my time. I would Starring not have known. Richard Chamberlain. 
Oh, Richard Chamberlain, sure, from the Thornbirds. <laughs> uh, okay, I didn't look that up till now, and uh, still have never heard of it. Um, but what a reference for Forrest Gump to drop out of the blue! <laughs> <laughs> it's like when a uh, when a cop pulls you over when you're a kid and's like, "You were going pretty fast through town there, Barney Oldfield," and you have to go like, "I, I understand that that is." <laughs> Probably a race car driver, old-timey race car driver, but I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> and uh, and after the Dr. Kildare thing is when he says, I take a can of new Coca-Cola, put it in a glass with some ice cubes. I tasted it just like I'd done at Mrs. Hopewell's, and it still tastes like shit or whatever. That was when my note was, I, I cannot believe that the new Coke bit has now entering into two of the three chapters we're covering today. <laughs> and he's already done this gag about new Coke, so we're... You know, we're we're stopping to beat up on New Coke in a way that is peculiar, you know, like, okay, New Coke, again, it was a cultural phenomenon, but the product itself, not really, it's kind of like the movie Ishtar. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, I mean, okay, I understand it was a big failure because they put promotion into it, but you don't stop and just like, go, okay, have you guys seen Ishtar? Oh <laughs> my God. It's like, it's a, oh, fine movie. A it's late watchable. night punchline, right. And yes, but when that was driving the discourse, that's all it took to make something into a, uh, you know, a, a, a joke that would span months, I guess. Yes, but we've already done this gag, but we're back at it. Yeah. So first, I took a pinch of cloves in a dab of cream of tartar. Next, I put in some root beer extract, mm, meat tenderizer, mm, popcorn cheese seasoning, and added some blackstrap molasses. So with each, and oh, and crab boil. Yeah. Chili con carne, orange fat, blah, blah, blah. So with each one, of, and baking soda. With each one, Larry, slapping his thigh, laughing. <laughs> like, what is, right. how much do you hate? None of us hate new Coke this much to require this, right? <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe Larry King read the first draft and said, you know what it could use more of? <laughs> when you were slamming on that uh, new Coke and you were calling it, you were putting things in there. Each ingredient made me laugh more than the next. <laughs> and, you know, the, not, to, not to harp on it, but obviously when people are like, you know, we discovered the new Coke formula. Like that was a thing I feel like a decade or the Coca-Cola formula. It's like it's, it's a syrup, right, that you mix with water. That's just loads of artificial flavors that they've they've crafted from a, from the lab where those come from. Yes. you know, they're, 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 you're not gonna you know go back. You're gonna go back and you know, be like less less of a 47B and a little bit more you know 112A, and that's that might be what fixes this. It'll make it slightly sweeter. Maybe get rid of some of that raisiny taste. Right. Uh, the idea of adding chili is uh, is absurd. But I thought that. Uh, I don't know, some incentive to uh, recreate this as a Patreon taste test? Oh, I like that. Yes, I'll do it. Indeed. I'll do it. I'll do it if we, uh, I don't know, 10 signups this, this, uh, before the next episode, I'll do it. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. So you, from that paragraph, from, or there was a previous one where he talked about ingredients, or, or both of them. Uh, well, I'll do Might this one. Might be three of them. If we get 20 signups, I'll do both of them. Um, uh, that, th- this I vow. Um, what are we at right now? Let's see. We are at... 553. 853. 853, I mean. All right. We hit that eight, 873 mark. I'll do both of them. 863. I'll do, I'll do, the, do this one. And uh, yeah, I'll document it. Also, um, this is the first of many things that is a uh, almost direct parallel to something that Homer does on The Simpsons. 
So uh, he's sort of inventing the flaming mo cocktail right now. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So, oh, I'm just noting here. You also might have to try the one that's uh, cayenne pepper, Spanish saffron, vanilla extract. I like that. That's good. Okay. Cumin, allspice, and MSG. I got some MSG in the cupboard. Do you? Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, and then that seamlessly goes into Mrs. Hopewell. I might as well read this. Lounging around in next to nothing. Nice. Couple of times she asked for a back rub and I give it to her. But when she asked for a front rub, that's where I draw to the line. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> but yeah, Larry is like, uh, is Miss Hopewell available? <laughs> uh, all right. Well, if I'm going to do that, you're going to have to uh, set an incentive to go to the Bubblegum Shrimp Company in Minneapolis in the Mall of America. I absolutely will. Yes. Okay. 100%. Yep. yep. Um, you should, the whole time you should just you should go in not knowing that it's based on a movie and just keep asking him questions um, that have make them explain to you what's going on. Well, I'm sure. Do they like most of those kind of theme restaurants where they invent the uh, so they'll take the fiction of it and you'll pick up the salt and it'll be like the story of Bubba Gump's Salt Company. <laughs> right. Why back in about 1985. Yeah, it's uh, they have stories on the back of the menus with tragic events, just like in Trucking Through Time, maybe. Yes. Well, where are we putting the, the counter for that? 883? 30 people? Um, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, let's do that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, this, this, we'll, we'll put this in the, uh, in the, uh, in the notes, but that's, uh, this is our challenge to you. We've got to get these numbers up, people. We've got we to gotta, we gotta get those good, those good leads, those Bubba Gump leads. <laughs> um, uh, all right, I'll top off the... Uh, the new Coke slamming, you know, it, it's kind of at this point, uh, to reference again, the Simpsons, stop, he's already dead. <laughs> um, Alice, he shout, Alice, he shouts, I think I have figured it out. If we put some steel wool shavings into the formula, formula, it will make it quit tasting like turpentine. Good God. And, and now new Coke, you know, which probably has long ago made like $3 billion and, you know, was phased out very successfully. And right. Is going like, wait, what? What's Who's saying what about us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Hang on. Let me uh, shut the uh, the engines to my yacht off and uh, and look at the insults this guy from uh, has is writing about me in a book 10 years after the fact. Right, exactly. If you've done if you've done something that warrants that, you've uh, you've you've ceased to care. You've ceased to be able to read this. I, I can't imagine the guy who greenlit New Coke is going to be picking this up on a beach and having his vacation ruined by it. Honey, they're making fun of me again. <laughs> yeah. So, sir, you own this beach. Please stop crying. Yes. Um, but so the whole way that this works is that Forrest did cure it once at the house. Forgot what it was all about. Mm-hmm. It's like Tenacious D writing the. Uh, greatest song of the world and forgetting it and then having to do a tribute to it. So Forrest Gump is trying to then recreate this. He doesn't be able to, he's not able to recreate it. <laughs> yeah. he, he keeps, he leads all these guys along. They watch him add shavings and suntan lotion and all this stuff to the Coke to try to do it. Every time they try it, they say it tastes like shit. Um, uh, and he's not able to do it. So at some point in time, he pretends that he has done it and they sort of emperor's new clothes it. They say, yeah, that tastes better. And, uh, that's what uh, what they um, end up doing. A guy says, Gump here has made the new Coke taste good, said Alfred. Yeah, how do you do that? I don't know. Just lucky, I guess. And that's where I said that these two chapters 
could have been covered in one Johnny Carson joke. You know? <laughs> yes. The, the, the U.S. men's hockey team did the impossible in Lake Placid when they defeated Russia. For a follow-up, they're going to try to make new Coke taste good. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> is, uh, is Gump available to punch up that script for Ishtar? Uh, start the car, Ed. The new Coke jokes are not going over well. <laughs> right. But that's, that's what we have done here. Um, and that ends with uh, they're going to uh, call a big uh, press conference for them to show off that. Um, is it that he's fixed it or that he is? No, he's just they're announcing the new product that's going to revitalize Coca-Cola. Yes. And, and in the timeline, they are, they're putting this directly into the pipeline because they're going to premiere it. Yeah. So they're yes. sending it out to their production facilities, which number I'm assuming in the many hundreds, uh, and and uh, giving them the new formula, which, you know, kudos to them for doing it quite speedily. Right. Yes. Overnight. Yes. Because uh, when they premiere it at the Atlanta headquarters, I assume it's ready to go in stores, you know, within the next couple of days, if not yeah, immediately. It's like so. one of those Steve Jobs announcements. And when can we buy this iPhone? It's available right now. <gasps> oh, tears. Yeah. Uh, so they have the big premiere. And uh, how, how do you think it goes, everyone? Because New Coke, you know, knowing your, how much uh, Winston Groom hates New Coke. It does he not hates it almost out. as much as Ernest Klein hates lag. Yes. Yeah, uh, it goes poorly. He, he just drills down on it and and this is i guess this is supposed to be like this event i i thought of the movie um uh the body what's it called not the body the one Hunt sucker this, proxy no the steve uh the uh, stephen king one of finding oh, the body. stand by me stand by me that's what it was called when it was a movie yes uh when he tells the story within the story of the kid oh. intentionally doing the eating Pie contest eating. Yep. <laughs> and throwing up all over everyone. Yeah, uh, yep. that's I literally wrote that down. Where okay. Yep. Stand by me pie eating contest. Yes, that's what this becomes as people just go utterly bananas mm-hmm. over this uh, new Coke. <laughs> and it causes what he calls is an actual riot. Yeah. Let's, uh, uh, let's, let's get some of it, though. Um, yeah. The, uh, the, the president of Coca-Cola said, ladies and gentlemen... I have a momentous announcement to make. Mrs. Hopewell is not wearing panties. No, he doesn't say that. He says, uh, Coca-Cola Company is proud to announce a brand new product that's going to revitalize our business. Uh, As you know, it's been around for more than 70 years, and we have not once changed our original formula because we figured everybody liked Coca-Cola. So that's the the CEO of Coca-Cola says, business and figured. Sure. And then uh, he lets people open up the bottles. Uh, At first, there's some oohs and ahs, and a few people be looking at each other and nodding their heads. But then there comes a cry from one of the little kids that they has invited, says, "Ugh, this shit is awful, and spits it out. So I, 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 that kid is my favorite character by far. I hope he kicks Forrest into nuts at some point in time. <laughs> then all the other kids start doing the same thing, spitting new coke on the floor and gagging and cussing. Some people even spit, spit it on other people. Pretty soon, the people be throwing the cans and bottles of new Coke at us, each other too. And you could see all sorts of fists flying and kicking and gouging and tables turned over. Some of the ladies' dresses be ripped off and they gone screaming out into the night. So this is, again, similar to when Homer uh, introduced, designed a car for his half-brother's car company and introduced it and it ruined his company because it was okay. so laughable. <laughs> right. 
Um, and then uh, they they spill out onto the street. There's all sirens going on. They try to get out, but they get caught up in the riot. And it ain't long for Mrs. Hopewell's dress is ripped off too. So some uh, comical assault going on here. And then uh, he gets recognized. Someone shouts, there he is. And a thousand people start chasing him, <laughs> including uh, the president, Alfred, and Mrs. Hopewell, who's only wearing her underpants. I mean, I got to give it to him. Underpants is a funnier word than underwear. Sure. So, yeah. so well done. <laughs> and uh, he, he's get, he gets chased up onto a highway. Uh, somehow he avoids them because he's very fast, obviously. And he gets picked up by a truck driver. And uh, who's headed to West Virginia. But if I want to ride, I got to ride in the back on account of he's a, got a passenger in the front. I look over at the passenger and damn it, if it weren't a great big old sow pig, must have weighed 400 pounds, sitting there grunting and panting. And believe it or not, uh, getting picked up by a truck who tells him that he has to ride in the back because there's a pig in the front uh, happened to Homer Simpson as well. <laughs> I did not know that. What, what is that in? Uh, I don't know where he's going in that one, but the guy uh, the guy picks him up and says, uh, you know, old Zeke here rides up front with me. You can't trust a pig with a watermelon, you know. And then Homer's in the back eating all the watermelons. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I forget where he's headed, though. And he, he has a pig in the Simpsons movie as well, right? Oh, yeah, the spider pig. Spider pig. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, and then, the, uh, and then we get, again, a, a touch of the Winston Groom humor is because the the uh, Atlanta Constitution reports on the premiere of the new Coke invented by Forrest, and it's the headline is "Moron Would Be Inventor Causes Riot in City." <laughs> Again, a, a joke only a Larry King could love. Yeah, that's their editorial board, though. They, they could have they could have just been mimicking the. Uh... The headline from the Springfield Shopper where Homer ran on the game at a uh, baseball stadium and it said, Idiot ruins game, Springfield forfeits pennant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, that story uh, after the moron headline says, uh, A sometime Alabama encyclopedia salesman who professed knowledge of a new formula for the Coca-Cola company caused one of the most violent riots in Atlanta's history yesterday. So I thought, ah, oh, riots, a mere two and a half years after the ones that devastated Los Angeles from a guy who clearly... Uh, is well up on his history, but that's, uh, I mean, in the book, uh, coming out timeline. So, Yeah, they are, those kind of riots, worthy of a, uh, a sort of slight snicker through the nose. Not an actual laugh or anything, just sort of, <laughs> yep. <laughs> those uh, kinds of riots. He goes on to say that, uh, oh, this is still the, uh, the newspaper store. I had to look this one up too. Tell me if you know what this is. At some point, the affair spilled out into the streets and turned into a riot, causing extensive damage in the chic downtown area. One source prominent in Atlanta's high society who wished to be unnamed said, it was the worst thing I ever seen since Lester Maddox began handing out them axe handles at his restaurant back in 64. Hmm. And no, you do know what that is? No. Uh, Lester well, Maddox, a, is that a boxer? No, 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 no. No, he's a. Uh, in 1949, Maddox began to promote his segregationist political ideology in Pick Rick Says. Uh, in April 1964, several African Americans tried to enter the restaurant and were threatened off the property by Maddox with Pick Rick drumsticks, a euphemism for wooden axe handles. Um, and so. He's a he was just a segregationist, and now you can see one of those axe handles, you know, on display at a uh, at an Atlanta History Museum. So oh my that's goodness, a, that's a good uh, that's a good punchline for you, Larry King. <laughs> wow, yeah, 
Especially using that with, with the uh, sort of, it was the worst thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> uh, and it goes on to say, uh, little is known of the perpetrator, Mr. Gump, who witnesses said fled the scene shortly after the brouhaha started. Sources say that Gump, thought to be in his early 40s, was once a football player at the University of Alabama. He's also the current NFL MVP. <laughs> right. <laughs> how is this uh, How is in the football-crazed south of all places? He holds all these records. Uh, another joke is that the Coca-Cola company issues a $1 million reward for his capture, dead or alive. So that's a little can, joke that Coke can, cor- can, can do. Cor- corporations do that? Yes. Call for <laughs> a man's head? <laughs> uh, so th- that will be hanging over the rest of our tail, perhaps? Maybe not. Oh, I mean, I hope so. Yeah, like the, uh, well, I'm thinking of um, Sean Penn's book, right? There were a lot of assassins in that who showed up at cafes and things. So I'm assuming the Coke assassin will show up at some point. We got a lot of emails comparing this to Bob Honey. <laughs> oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And it turns out one of them said that during, uh, during, during one of the episodes, we called him serial killer Forrest Gump based on his sort of bumbling, I guess. I don't remember a ton about it, just that I didn't like it. But uh, that's, that's a pretty, pretty incredible <laughs> uh, And then I feel like there's an unforced error here or some joke I'm not getting is that the hog farmer who's going to bring him to his hog bidness? <laughs> Mr. McGiver. Mr. McGiver. Is it, it seems like it's a parallel to MacGyver. Yeah, I, when I read that fanfic today, I, I stumbled over that because. Um... Yeah, you said McGiver, but I recognize it from this, and it stuck out to me as why not just call him that? Is it, I've never heard of anyone called Mr. McGiver. That doesn't mean they don't exist, certainly. But uh, it just does seem an oddity, given all of his pop culture references and everything, and the time being the 80s, to have a person named Mr. McGiver, who you right. want to call MacGyver, but he's not. Yeah. So what's the deal? It's puzzling, um, especially since, yeah, I don't know whether those Coke executives are real. Probably not. He's probably only putting in famous, famous people as opposed to people who might then sue him. But um, I don't know who the most famous hog farmer in America would be. In in the hog business industry, <laughs> yes. Okay, and this is this is the point where uh, I thought that uh, um, Zemeckis was just like calling up, being like, "Get me the rights to this movie." You know, you fend off Spielberg, you fend off Coppola, whatever it takes. Uh, well, for one thing, the people in Colville, the little town where my farm is, they all the time complain about the smell. Now, I admit that hogs smell, but the hell with that, Gump. Business is business. I got a thousand hogs, and all they do is eat and shit all day. Of course it's going to smell. Get me the rights to that movie! (laughs) (laughs) Groom can have my cut this time. Whatever it takes. Imagine, yes, imagine Coppola doing it and... uh... You know, the artful slow-mo shot of the hogs shitting and eating. <laughs> yeah, he does the reverse of the uh, Michael closing the door at the end of The Godfather, but he's opening it to a hog pen. <laughs> <laughs> eating an orange as he closes the door. <laughs> and he says, uh, why don't you come work for me for a while? There's a lot to do around the farm. So that's what I did. So we've gone from new Coke to industrial hog farming. And, uh, and you wonder why there's not a movie of this book. <laughs> And the Mr. McGiver constantly going like, now you're not Gronkowski? Okay, all right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Here's the hog feed. I will see you in a couple hours. Really? You you, you can't even get a job coaching? You know, you you certainly have endorsements, at least local ads for New Orleans things. Like, uh, brother. 
I mean, Kent Herbeck has done uh, <laughs> AC uh, ads for like 20 years. I feel like you could get something out of this. Right. The Bacchus crew doesn't even want you to be the Grand Marshal in their parade? I mean, wow. <laughs> what, how many toes did you step on? I mean, Jesse Ventura gets local ads. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Snake is just endorsing a chain of po'boy shops. It seems like that's well <laughs> within your capacity. Oh. His, his are doing very good business. <laughs> Uh, that's it for the first three chapters of Gump and Company. Wow. Uh, not what I expected. I don't know that I expected anything. Um, you did, well, of course it's not what you expected. Two of the three chapters were about trying to fix new Coke. <laughs> if, you were, if you had predicted that, it would have been, uh, you would have had to go to the racetrack. That's what I'm trying to think. If, if fanfic had come up with something, what would be the equivalent of something that made a, uh, you know, made a mild impression? But then, I mean, I guess it would be things like, the, the crystal phase of, you know, Pepsi? clears, clears and crystals, right? Like yeah. every soap, everything was, was clear and it was yeah. just a marketing thing. And then you just like drill down on that for three chapters. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else could be a, uh, I mean, maybe if, you know, if he had gone to the movies with Neil Diamond and that's where he, they saw E.T. and that moved Neil Diamond to write a song about E.T., yeah, you know, that, and that type three of chapters, cultural ephemera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or when, um, uh, uh, what is the popcorn candy in a prize? Uh, Cracker Jacks. Uh-huh. Cracker Jacks actually, they were, it made an impression when they stopped putting prizes in, but they were just like those weird little paper tattoos and stuff. Yeah, that was a big deal because they used okay. to, you know. Yeah. Cool so toys, it would yeah. Have been like to just drill down on that, and like meet the guy who decided, like, now nah, we can't afford to keep putting cheap toys in our stuff, right? Or if he, like, uh, if it was, if he was introduced, uh, you know, the other guys in Van Halen to Gary Sharon, like the third guy, the former extreme singer. If he was like, well, I heard that these guys need a singer for their band, Mister Sharon. They said they wanted to take a candy bar and make it fun size. I said, why don't you just chop it down by about a third and put it in a smaller package? Four chapters later, I was chased out of town for making a fun-sized candy bar. (laughs) Mr. Postmaster General, if people want the Elvis stamp where he's skinny and the Elvis stamp where he's fat, why not let the public vote on it? And so they did. And boy, was that a thing for about a week. (laughs) IHOP was going to change its name and take pancakes out of the name of that (laughs) restaurant? Why, I wouldn't hear of it. Oh, man. It would be a great book if that was the stuff that it focused on. That he's going to meet Oliver North. Hooray. (laughs) Well, that's stuff for fanfic to speculate on. But let's, uh, let's wrap it up with some dumb sentences. A sentence begins with a capital letter. A capital letter is a letter that's big. A capital letter is not a small letter. A capital letter is big, big. big. All right, uh, dumb sentences of the week. Many submitted by our again beloved, beloved, attractive, well-off, just you know, delightful human being Patreon supporters. If our Patreon people showed up at our doors, we would of course be wearing a red silk nightgown with a cigarette holder. Yes. We would and say, please do come in. <laughs> we would we would put on T Rex bang a gong because of course there would be a gong to play. But yep, yeah, we uh, appreciate them. Here are the dumb senses of the week. Uh, this one's from Josh. This is then he and some other coaches say a bunch of other bullshit, and we gone on back out to the stadium. 
Uh, and he said, I'm guessing Klein printed that quote out and taped it to a vision board when he was planning out the climax of the Prince fight in RP2. Just say some bullshit and we're going to go out there. <laughs> uh, Andrew submitted, it seems that everybody in the whole world wanted shrimp. And he said, the idea that shrimp became so popular in less than 10 years that the whole shrimp population got decimated is pretty crazy. Because that's what did in the uh, the shrimp business as well. The, the price of shrimp soared, I guess. Right. Uh, Harrison submitted, them other fellas is holding hands and jumping up and down and hollering too. That's the uh, Coke executives when he discovered the cure. And he said he in- immediately thought of the uh, a conference room scene from Birdemic. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. The cheering that breaks out around the tables. Uh, Jeff submitted, well, I ain't sure exactly what I done next, but somehow I got back home and throwed some stuff in a bag and caught the bus to Mobile that afternoon. He tells us he ain't sure what happened next and proceeds to tell us exactly what happened next. <laughs> also quite Kleinian. Mike submitted, besides, she said, them people ain't coming in here to look at me anymore. They is coming to look at you, you big oaf. And that's, uh, that's the, the strip club owner who I guess is that's the one time that his celebrity was paying off. They were coming to the strip club to gawk at him. Oh, sure. I must have missed that. But then somehow uh, recognition of him plummets the day after that. Yes, yes. What have you done for us lately? And he thought that, Mike, that might make a good scene, uh, a good comedic scene, instead of being hand-waved Ray with a single line. (laughs) Uh, John, Amanda, and Craig all submitted the door slamming, and he's afraid it might have hit the first man in the asshole. (laughs) Okay. Hayden submitted, uh, they got twice as many pads and pieces of rubber and stuff, so so's when you get all suited up, you look like a Mars man or something, and when you stand up, you feel like you're going to tump over. Um, that's describing how a professional football player would look. And he's offended. The author believed an idiot wouldn't know the word Martian and used Mars man instead. <laughs> Michael submitted police have put out uh, a, oh yeah, the Coca-Cola putting out the all points bulletin for his capture dead or alive. Brian submitted, uh, oh, well, let's get to Brian's next. Janelle submitted mama died. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Yes. <laughs> uh, and Brian's, uh, we're, we're going to allow, it was from the, uh, um, what do you call them? Not acknowledgments at the beginning of the book. The very first page has the acclaim and praise section. Oh, okay. And it says, uh, Groom's satire now has a Kurt Vonnegut-like quality. And he says, as a big fan of Kurt Vonnegut, Dave Helms of the Mobile Register can respectfully kiss my entire ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got anything left? I do. Uh, th- uh, just keep in mind, this is one sentence. Okay. So not a lot of fireworks, just this is one sentence. How she always helped me out of trouble in school, even after I accidentally tore off her dress in the movie theater, and in college when she sang with the folk music band, and I screwed up by hauling the banjo player out of the car while they was making out, and then up in Boston when she was singing with the cracked eggs, and I went to Harvard University and got in the Shakespeare play, and even after that, when she was up in Indianapolis working for the retread company and I became a wrestler and she had to tell me what a fool I was making of myself. It just can't be true. I kept thinking over and over again, but thinking don't make it so. Holy crap. So obviously go to hell. (laughs) What play do you think we missed out not reading the first book? What do you think he ended up as? Oh, I don't know. Well, she was singing with the cracked eggs at Harvard. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good question. Oh man. (laughs) Um, How would he handle the words of Shakespeare in his mouth? That must be, yeah. Yeah. To bidness or not to bidness, that is the question. (laughs) Uh, A tale told by an idiot full of sound fury? That could be. Mm. He's the the person, maybe. 
But maybe he's just the guy that puts on the uh, bottom who puts on the donkey's head in Midsummer's Night. Oh, that could be. Uh, mine was that we didn't use was, just talking about football again, our men are all very confident and be slapping each other on they asses with towels in the locker room. <laughs> so I think also probably, not to not to describe it in every single podcast, probably how, how Ike was thinking on uh, the eve of D-Day. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, wow, okay. Cool. Well, yeah. I, I'm, I'm quite a lot of promise. Going in unexpected places. Very easy to read. Um, so I think it's a lot of fun. I agree. I thought that it was easier to read than, uh, than the last few books in terms of, you know, just like it, it does move along. Yeah. I'll give it that. Cool. Well, uh, we did get some good emails, but I think we got to wait for them, including one, uh, one very fun journey down a, a woman who, who loved Gump and Company, uh, her Amazon rabbit hole, but we might have to do that as a bonus, um, just cause this has gone way too long. Yes. All, All right. right. Yeah, well, thanks, everyone. Uh, we're back. I'm back. Uh, I'm, I'm limping around reading Gump & Co. Is that the official? We don't say company. We say Gump & Co. That's a good question. I'm going Co. I'm going Co. I guess like Gump & Company kind of rhymes, but you Like when you, when you saw Dr. Kildare there, did you read it as Dur Kildare? Well, okay. Uh, <laughs> maybe I did. All right. Uh, maybe that we, – well, let's dive into that uh, show and see. Maybe that's how they pronounce it. Well, we don't know. Ask oh, Frank Conniff. He probably knows. <laughs> Frank owns the laser discs of it. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks, we'll everyone. next time. So long.